Welcome back to Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, today's episode is a very special one. This is the end of our summer replays. Uh, and then in a couple weeks, starting in September, we are hopping back into uh, season two of the show, which is super exciting. Um, and I have a whole bunch of exciting guests and I've been recording episodes. So I'm very excited for that. But before we get there, uh, I have a super-sized summer replay. Try to say that like 10 times fast or whatever. Uh, but uh, basically, at the beginning of summer, I kind of had this idea where I wanted to put different clips of people who have done uh, some of the 14ers out here. 14ers are the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado um, and in other parts of the United States, which you're about to hear. Uh, and I had this idea. I've had so many guests, so many amazing people talk about them because I always kind of geek out about them. And I had this dream that I was going to listen to all of those old episodes, find the clips, uh, put a little compilation together. Um, that did not happen this summer. <laughs> so that is not what this episode is. Um, but instead, it is uh, some tales, some conversations. It's basically two episodes I combined. I smush them together. It is episode two of the podcast and episode 18. So two from like super early on with my buddy Calvin Johansson. And once again, I mean, I know I've probably told him this a billion times at this point, but him going out, uh, essentially, I guess I should tell you what the project is. He went out during one summer from Des Moines, Iowa, drove his Prius out to Colorado um, he had a dream of doing 75 mountains in 75 days, all the 14ers in the continental U.S. Uh, he ended up extending that to 100 mountains in 100 days. And then somehow total, he ended up doing 111 mountains in 105 days. So um, he was out here. He was having the summer uh, adventure. This was right when I was kind of thinking about starting a podcast and just checking in with him every day, hearing how his adventure was going. Um, it really inspired me to kind of step outside my comfort zone and start this project. So honestly, without Calvin um, and without the 14ers project that he talks about here, I don't think I ever would have actually pulled the trigger on uh, doing this project. And so just once again, like huge thanks to him these two episodes from way early on you'll tell with like mic quality and probably interview quality on my behalf um but these two episodes are two of my absolute favorite of the whole entire run of episodes that we've done uh one because i just love calvin i think he's an amazing guy uh he's always inspired me always had a lot of wise advice and wisdom um and then two i think some of his stories um, combined with kind of his uh, mentality going in and the lessons he is able to pass along, uh, kind of just about like, hey, you just got to get started. And just starting, you'll figure stuff out along the way. But if you keep delaying the start until you have everything figured out, you're never going to actually start whatever your goal is. And I think that has been huge wisdom for me um, as I've taken on projects or taken on endurance challenges or things like that. And, uh, I learned it from him. So, uh, 
So yeah, I hope you all enjoy the episode. So basically what's going to happen is we'll play the first episode, which was episode two. He was like halfway through his 14ers project. Uh, and then we'll take a little break for a second. And then I'll introduce the second, not, I don't even want to say clip, second straight up episode. This one's going to be probably the longest podcast I've ever put out. Um, but I love it so much. And I'm like, I'm not going to edit any of this. Like, why would I clip any of this out? This is all awesome. Calvin's awesome. So uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, this is the last summer replay, extra large edition, super size, uh, with Calvin Johansson. Chris Ward, thank you for having me, man. How are you doing, man? Where are you at? Uh, I'm currently chilling in Bishop, California. It's uh, a little bit warm, but I'm surviving. Yeah, in the crazy desert of California? Yeah, it's uh, just on the desert, right below the high Sierras, I guess you'd call it, mountain range. So, a little warm, a little dry, but yeah. Yeah, off your feet for a couple of days? Yeah, taking a a rest, took a rest day yesterday, and today looking for, ended up taking another rest day, because woke up not feeling so well. But it's allowed me to prepare for a couple, actually several very ambitious days I have coming up. So rest is very well needed and some good planning to hopefully execute a very ambitious plan coming up. So, yeah, still productive. Nice, man. Uh, can you actually tell? Like, can you feel it in your body the next day? Like, after you've had a rest day? Um, it's a good question as far as, I think sometimes I can, but uh, it's like anything. Like you're gonna have those sore muscles and things, and it's weird whether you probably had a rest day or not. It seems that once you still say, "If I don't have a rest day, and I have to show up and go hike a mountain or do some physical activity," that at first the pain is gonna be there. But like once you get involved into the activity, then like your mind works; it forgets about the pain. Like maybe the lactic acid and stuff go away, and you just get back to the task at hand. So. uh uh, I don't know. I'm not, some days I guess I could do it, but some days not. Like this specifically, yesterday my feet hurt a lot and I woke up and my feet still really hurt, but now they're feeling pretty good. So I think tomorrow I'll be pretty recovered. Nice. And you'll be sprinting up the mountain like a mountain goat. <laughs> I may uh, bust out of the the gates really fast with too much enthusiasm. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, I need to slow down because it's uh, going to be 12 hours of this. Oh my god! Uh, uh, so, what did you announce today, man? This was super exciting for me. I like fist pumped in my apartment or my house by myself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm currently on a quest. Uh, for the last two months, I've been on a quest to climb and hike the 75 tallest mountains in contiguous USA. And I don't know. A few weeks ago, I was flirting with this idea to go even bigger uh to take my idea and stretch it to a hundred mountains and i've been kind of flirting with it the last couple of weeks and actually slowly working on it to see if it's even possible to see if it's feasible um and so today i figured you know like anything public accountability public announcement that helps solidify uh a statement so i officially announced to make it real to make it official that i'm gonna actually go for the 100 highest mountains in contiguous u.s instead of just the 75 so it's uh it's on 
That's awesome, man. What uh, what drove you to that? Did you just get to number 70 and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to stop? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, I believe <laughs> I was leaving Colorado around Mountain. I can't remember what it was. Maybe 50? 50, in the mid-50s or so. Um, I had to leave a, couple, a few days early to get up to Washington. And when I was kind of driving uh, – I realized how well I was feeling for being so far in the project. Like all of a sudden I could start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, I went and I did Mount Rainier, which was just a huge spectacle. And um, it was, it was probably the highlight of this trip so far. It was just afterwards. It was that, that feeling of coming off a day where I was up for almost like 30 hours climbing, doing a very Alpine style mountain. I felt like, I could do anything. I was on very much a high, um, but it's just kind of like, wow, like soon 75 will be here. The light is under the tunnel, but I actually feel really good. And what if to go a little bit crazier? What if I could do the 100 highest? Uh, the idea was never conceived there in the beginning. Like I could have never even flirted with such an idea before setting out. But now that I'd come this far, uh, it just seemed like, Again, a possibility, uh, which was scary because, you know, being not even quite to 60 mountains means if I did choose to do 100, it's like I'm only just barely halfway done. Whereas <laughs> if I stick with 75, it's like, man, I'm already like 75% done. Like soon I can be done and be back home. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's just a matter of actually going through the process and being out here and seeing my body adapt, get stronger, see what the possibilities are. Um, that now it's like raising the bar for myself being like, Oh my God, like maybe the next level is to get to a hundred. Like that's where it kind of came from. That's awesome, man. Uh, as I look, I'm looking through your Instagram right now and you always see what you call the summit pick, which is when you're on top of the mountain and your <laughs> arms are raised and you're like just super <laughs> stoked or like, I'm looking at one right now, you're doing a cartwheel, you know? So like all the successes. Yeah. I kind of want to hear about the misadventures. You know, I want to hear yeah, about the uh, hard moments, and I know you've had them because we've talked. <laughs> so start me off day one. <laughs> yeah, well, first, like, let me, before we get to day one, I know, uh, I actually, I think after a couple of weeks of, like, posting the Summit success pick, uh, I realized it's like, man, if I want to share this this whole experience, this story with people, I got to make them feel like they're there and, like, it became pretty apparent early on. It's like, if I just show myself smiling on top of a summit every day, like that's going to get old. Like <laughs> there's so many more things that happen in those 12 to 15 hours of climbing a mountain besides that one moment of standing on the top uh, to show people what it's really like. So that way, and also so they don't get this vision. It's like, oh, it's all fun and glory. You just get to the top and you're always smiling. Like you actually want to show the journey along the way, right? It's more about the journey than the destination. Definitely. Um, but trying to go back to, oh my gosh, day one is so long ago. But uh, <laughs> the reason I ask you is because <laughs> the reason I ask yeah. you is because I know day one, which was a planned easy day with quotation marks, uh, started yeah. off as definitely anything but an easy day. Yeah, day one set the tone right out the gate to this whole entire project. Uh, day one was scheduled for two mountain day to do gray grays and Torrey's peak which is near 
uh, Keystone, Colorado, and Breckenridge, that kind of area. And I've done them before, and um, it was supposed to be, you know, like a six-hour day, I think maybe six to seven hours, uh, maybe just like six miles round trip or something. Nothing too strenuous, like a class one hike, which just means you basically walk up on your feet. and It should just be kind of a in mountain climbing a walk in the park, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but day one, the night before we, we decided to leave to head to the mountains from Boulder, Colorado. We thought, Hey, let's drive the two hours, get to the trailhead so we could wake up and hit the ground running. And so about midnight, we left Boulder, we drove for a couple hours to the area we thought was the trailhead. <laughs> and since I'd done this mountain before and I actually been there two other times, but, um, did you know right away? Familiar. Like, did you uh, know? That night I was, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, this is not very familiar at all. So like in the morning we woke up and realized we were lost a little bit, but, uh, we realized we, after, you know, getting our senses straight, we realized we were on the back side of the mountain and not act the official trailhead. So I knew at that point it was already eight in the morning and, uh, you know, you want to avoid thunderstorms, these things. I figured for us to correct our mistake and drive around the other side of the mountain to get to the trailhead, it's probably going to take a couple more hours. So I thought, you know what, like there's just got to be a way up the backside of this mountain. We'll just walk up this way versus trying to drive around the mountain and start. So, uh, which turned out to be kind of a very bad idea. Um, <laughs> a very unofficial route, which um, we basically, I don't want to call it a first ascent because I don't know if that's true, but, um, we went up some very technical stuff, probably some class three, four stuff. Can you explain, day, can you explain the classes yeah. really quick? Yeah. Um, so mountains are ranked on a class of one through five class one just means, uh, you're just walking, use your feet, no hand motions class two. So class one's usually a nice uh, groomed trail. Class two will be very similar, but class two, you may be using your hands or leaning forward to possibly have to touch actual rocks to get up something, um, something they would call scrambling. Class three is very much hands and feet needing to climb. Not too dangerous, but uh, definitely going to be using your whole body to maneuver to get up the mountain at some point. Um, class four is the next level after class three, which is very much climbing again. It could be more dangerous because you may have what you would have, uh, have more exposure, which you'll face in class three class exposure means, um, you could see the cliff, like you may be next to a cliff and you could <laughs> fall a hundred feet or more or something. So class three, you know, you don't have a lot too much exposure class four. You may have more exposure. It typically on class fours, people may need or feel the need to rappel down from the moves that they've climbed up to get down safely instead of down climbing. Okay. And then class five is where you have what is called technical rock climbing where people, if you see people like harnesses and ropes and like all the technical gear, then you're on class five mountains. And then those go into their own rating systems from 5.0 or 5.1 all the way up to five dot 16 okay so awesome. i hope that does that clarify that? yeah that helps so you're instead of doing a class one day one you're on like <laughs> yeah. probably at least a class two a lot harder i'm um, imagining 
easily class three at points. Uh, really? Maybe there's some parts of this class four, easy, for sure class three stuff. And the day ended up being twice as long as we thought. I think it took us like 11 hours. The mileage we put in it was about 11 or 12 miles. Uh, wow. We were just, I had a hiking partner that day, my friend Alex, and uh, we just weren't quite ready for that to be happened on day one. We're just to kind of ease into it. But uh, right out the gate, it was teaching us some lessons, and it set the tone for what this project is and what it was going to take and what we might encounter along the way. So what do you mean by set the tone? Like, it set the tone of problem-solving, or it's going to be brutally hard, or what? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, knowing how to adjust on the fly, a lot of problem-solving, needing to, the need for better research and preparation for every single day before heading up into the mountains, um, the physicality that's going to be needed, uh, potentially facing the elements, but also just like speed, the endurance. Um, yeah, I guess kind of in all those realms. So you realized that you had to become kind of a superhero, right? Like just become jacked like uh, Batman. Um, maybe <laughs> in the end, but, uh, I knew that it was kind of like, make sure I knew it was going to be marathon over a sprint, but, uh, just the whole idea of being prepared for kind of any scenario that may be coming at any point. Okay. Okay. So how terrible did you feel day two waking up? I think, what'd you do day two? <laughs> what mountain was that? Do you day, remember? Two, day two, we did Mount Quandry okay. and Sherman. Okay. So two shorter ones. Yeah. Two little bit shorter ones. I remember uh, getting done on day one and we grabbed dinner in Frisco and we were just exhausted. Like, 10 o'clock at night by the time we got there and we're just eating and I'm like, oh, we need to drive like another hour to go to bed. Tomorrow shouldn't be too bad. Like I've done it before. Uh, I, I think it's only like five miles. Yeah. Maybe it's 10 miles round trip or something. Um, another kind of class one. Uh, but I remember, yeah, and then waking up on day two, I believe. And I wasn't too sore. I don't think yet. It hadn't really hit me, but you know, then it was, you know, apparent the whole idea that your body doesn't get a lot of recovery time. And I went to bed really tired, like exhausted, but I woke up feeling decent. Um, so we did, we did quandary, but then the next mountain we actually had to drive to, you couldn't actually just like hike a ridge over. It wasn't connected. So we had to like go up the mountain, come down the mountain. Uh, we got some food and for logistics and schedule, like I needed to get this next mountain done. So it was, uh, going to require me to do kind of like a sunset hike i didn't have a lot of energy but it's kind of like i had no choice at the same time if i wanted to have success in this overall project even though it was only day two but realizing it's like if i didn't stay on schedule now like it's only going to affect the whole entire schedule moving forward gotcha. but i specifically remember on day three waking it up after doing quandary at night so at this point in two days i've done four mountains um I wake up on day three, and which we're scheduled to do this uh, four, uh, this loop. You can do four mountains in like uh, ten miles. And I remember waking up, uttering the words, uh, "I can't wait for a rest day." <laughs> in which my hike, in which my hiking partner just started laughing, and he goes, "Says the guy who's supposed to be hiking and climbing seventy-five mountains, seventy-five days." <laughs> and it's kind of like. And my scheduled rest day wasn't for probably another week or so, uh, my first one. It just kind of like hit me in the face of like, 
oh my goodness, like these are things that I'm going to have to learn to deal with, like waking up feeling tired, exhausted, but still finding the strength and the courage to put one foot in front of the other every single morning. For sure, man. Um, okay, so fast forward, you did a whole bunch of mountains after that, um, and it seemed like things went pretty smooth, as smooth as, as they could go at that point. Um, when did you really face like another giant challenge or misadventure or or some kind of adversity after that? Yeah, um, thinking back, gosh, it's almost like a it's blur because so <laughs> all these days, like how many mountains into, I know specifically about week two, other than Sawatch Range doing the collegiate peaks and really it's around week three, I think, but I was finally starting, my body was starting to wear down. I had a lot of hip pain, um, hip pain that was kind of moving into my knee. Uh, and every day, like I had all this like huge tightness and like, no matter what I was trying to do, like yoga, stretching, moving it. It was just a big ball of tightness that was affecting other areas in my body, specifically specifically different areas inside my hip and kind of knee joints. And it was just a matter of, I have to deal with this every day. Like it's, I, I try to do body maintenance, but it's like I, I have to figure out how to get over this. I have to deal with it every day because um, I don't think one or two rest days is going to solve this. It's obviously an ongoing issue. So dealing with that at first kind of – you know, that's when things started to get more real, being like, you know what? You may face injuries and this adversity, but you're going to have to get over this. So that's kind of uh, – I checked my ego a little bit. I switched to hiking poles at that point because I wasn't using poles to hike with. Ooh. And I'd say over a week that really helped take a lot of force and tension out of my hip and put it more to my arms. It slowly started that healing process, which is – Helped me in the long run get a lot more skill and technicality by using the poles. That's awesome, man. Yeah, those are ne- necessary for going downhill on those things. Um, going okay. downhill, like, yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, just like, yeah, uh, historically in my experience, using poles are essential going downhill to kind of like save your knee joints. Like coming down the mountain, you have a lot of force in your legs for the striking and the weight coming down on. Um so that's when I used to use poles a lot. But now, to be honest with you, I find the poles more beneficial going even uphill just because with each step, especially when I'm having to like step up on bigger rocks and boulders, um, I'm able to transfer more of the force into my arms and shoulders. And I estimate probably like 30, 20 to 30%. Like it's not a lot, but it's enough that when you're doing that a thousands of times a day, it's transferring more of that force and energy into your arms. It's really been saved by legs, which and again, overall, it's been helping my endurance and my speed. So even though they're super beneficial the way coming down, I find them just as beneficial, if not more, going up now. Nice, nice. Um, so any any other big challenges in Colorado? Before we get to what – there are a couple of stories I really, <laughs> really want to hear about. And one we actually talked about last week, but after you explained your story on Mount Stanford, I – instantly decided that I had to call you back and listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Colorado, um, just trying to go through a quick mental checklist. Thankfully, like everything kind of panned out. I mean, I had some, <laughs> I guess, yeah, here's, I remember kind of now on Mount Snapples, which is near Uray, Colorado. Um, 
I got a little bit late start around noon and I knew I was going to be battling weather because it was kind of the start of monsoon season, as they call it. So even more thunderstorms or higher chances. And, uh, I remember hiking up to the top of the mountain. I got to the top and I kind of look over and it's just kind of black in the distance. I'm like, Oh man, thunderstorms moving in. Like I got to get moving. And I just start descending and all of a sudden it's just like, it starts lightning like crazy on the mountain, basically crossing you maybe a mile or two over and nothing will make your heart jump out of your chest or kind of stop. Then like when you see big bolts of lightning striking a mountain in front of you and you're still very high up on the mountain, very exposed. And all I could think of was like any second that lightning could hit me. I don't know that much about storms and things, but, uh, I immediately started sprinting like a mad dad. And, uh, that was, uh, got my anxiety anxiety quite high i was up way later than i should have been um and you hear about these tragedies people get struck by lightning and stuff you're always like oh it's not gonna be me because i'm gonna be smart enough and blah 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 but weather moves in fast it can go from you know clear to a thunderstorm in 15 20 minutes out of nowhere wow um and that wasn't a very good experience but i got down safely thankfully and then the very next day on wetterhorn i happened to find myself and basically a very similar scenario again, which was just as frightening. Um, and kind of, and I made record time, I think, from the summit down to <laughs> the summit to the top of the mountain, down to like the trailhead. Uh, I remember getting to the summit. I was there. At this, this had to be my shortest summit I've had to date probably. I was there for about two minutes maybe, enough to like take a photo, grab a quick bite because I saw back at Mount Sneffels, the mountain I climbed the day prior, uh, you know, a couple dozen miles away. It was all black and thunderstorming. I was like, well, I've got time. Like, I can see that <laughs> way in the distance, so I'll be fine. But what I didn't see was behind me, another storm had rolled in. And on my descent, it was crazy lightning, thunder that would, like, shake my whole body in the whole valley. And I honestly basically sprinted from the summit to the trailhead and made it back in like one hour where it had wow. taken you know, like four hours me to climb the mountain. But it was just like a dead sprint the whole time. <laughs> wow. What well, well, so. I, I realized, I, I came out and did Mount Elbert and Mount Massive with you. And we kind of ran into storms, nothing on that, like to that extent when we're hiking up Mount Elbert. Yeah. But what I realized is really dangerous is on the way up, you can't see what's behind the mountain. So if there's a giant storm situation moving in you have no idea until you get to the very top which is which that is, yeah it's very true you're you're, yeah, you're blind like the other side of yeah what the weather patterns are doing on the other side and like what's what's happening so yeah you can get to the top and all of a sudden just because of perspective you're blind you can't see it and all of a sudden boom you can walk right into a storm yeah yeah which is which is pretty crazy and if people don't know lightning is the number one killer on those mountains you think like climbing mountains like falling off a cliff or like being attacked by a mountain lion or crazy stuff like that but really it's lightning so got to watch out for that yeah and like and the scary thing about lightning is there's really no forewarning um that i know as far as you're gonna get struck like from what i found is one of the biggest indicators that where you're probably in the biggest trouble is like if you can hear rocks around you like buzzing they say like they're actually like positively charged if your hair starts to stand up then you're in a very bad scenario like uh you're most likely to get struck by light like very high chances right yeah but um it happens so fast it's not like 
oh my gosh, here I see it. The lightning's coming. They're both coming. Like you can dodge it. It's just like it's an instantaneous snap of the fingers. Boom! Something happens that you can't even see happening. So wow. scary. Wow, that's really scary, man. Okay, so I want to fast forward to. Uh, if you don't have any more in Colorado, but I want to hear about Mount Rainier because Mount Rainier just sounds awesome, like a completely different experience. Yeah, Mount Rainier is very different. Uh, when we talk about classes of mountains, that one through five kind of ranking of a lot of the mountains I've been climbing in Colorado are all like one through three. So anywhere from just walking on, like I'm out there in shorts and a long sleeve shirt, like with a small backpack, I can go up and down these mountains decent relatively quickly you know uh mount rainier is snow covered year round it's a giant glacier it's a huge mountain that sits behind seattle it's really famous you'll see it it's a huge volcano um it is by i think volume or gross ever the biggest mountain in the u.s um it's it's massive it's huge and i don't have necessarily that experience what you call alpine uh, alpinism, like alpine mountain climbing, which means like using fancy technical gear, like crampons, which are spikes on your feet. Uh, just a lot of climbing stuff. Like you actually rope together in case you fall, you're in a rope team. So if you fall or a teammate falls, hopefully you only slide so far down the mountain and will everyone else kind of catch you because you're tied together like a giant lifeline. Wow. Um, but yeah, Mount Rainier is incredible as far as um, day one, like we hiked up to Muir Camp, which is where we, the route we chose was uh, the DC route, which is the standard route. Disappointment Cleaver is what it stands for. Okay. And uh, we hiked up to Camp Muir, which um, that's not too technical. We had just like, you know, regular walking, ready shoes on, but you have to pack all your tents, all your big heavy backpack stuff. Uh, we got to get up there, you chisel out like a spot to sleep your tents that means you got to like take a shovel and carve out a nice square to a flat area to put your tent down melt some snow to get water for the next day because uh, basically what happens is we get up to camp around five o'clock do a couple of things for a couple hours and then you want to lay down and get to bed by eight o'clock because you're going to wake up at 11 o'clock and start <laughs> climbing from midnight and try to get up on the summit at sunrise and so we wake up uh we try to go to sleep around 8 8 30 uh, I hardly sleep at all because it's just kind of a weird time to try to go to bed anyways. But then you have people coming into camp late, setting up their camp. So it's just like not a conducive environment to sleeping. But anyway, so we, the alarm goes off and um, it's like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you get outside, you put on kind of like all your snow gear and things start getting very real. It's like you have to put on your climbing harness. Uh, and, and you all clip into this uh, 70 meter rope. So they're like, we had a team of four of us and we're all clipped together. And it's very like, here's the drills. Here's the mechanics. Somebody's going to lead us. We have a leader. Uh, make sure you call out your right commands and stuff. Cause you know, you can be in very dangerous environments where like you could slip and fall into a crevasse, which is like a big giant ice hole or whatever. Yeah. Um, wow. Or slide down the slope of a face of a mountain and, uh, it's just, it's very, it's much more serious. Like, uh, you got to take things very serious. So it got very real, very quickly feeling very big mountain, which was exciting and exhilarating at the same time. Yeah. Um, see, that's yeah, the so dude, we, that's what kind of makes you indestructible is when you're faced <laughs> with a terrifying experience or something you're uncomfortable with, you find it exciting and you like kind of, <laughs> you kind of take the, 
the craziness and the fear in and you let out a whole bunch of energy. Like you're awesome at that, man. Yeah. I really respect that. One one of the best lessons I ever learned, I'm a self-development junkie, so to speak. There's this famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in which I only remember one of the habits because it was a, it was, I was listening to an audio book years ago, but it stood out and I haven't forgot it since. And it talked about responding versus reacting. And most individuals in their life are in a reactive phase, which is very emotional based. So say um, if you get upset, something happens and all of a sudden you get triggered and you're like, why the F would you do that? You get mad. You have this reaction response to it, very emotionally driven. Whereas responding is more kind of a logical approach where like you take the information in and you process it and you choose uh, how you're going to respond, using the word again, how you're going to respond to that scenario. So um, for example, it could be like if a girlfriend or a significant other walks up and slaps you in the face, most people would instantly <laughs> have a reaction and be really upset and angry. Or if you are very grounded, you may, if you have a response to it, you may ground yourself for a second, take a breath and try to, ask yourself, what does this scenario mean? Why is this happening? What is your next move you're going to do? And it's very like methodical thought out, so to speak. And that doesn't mean you have to take 10 or 15 minutes. You could do that in a matter of split seconds, but if you can get down to that process of responding versus reacting, it can change your scenario very much. So what I find is in some of these scenarios where they're very uncomfortable and they are the unknown, which is usually people will react. And I, I do this too. I'm not perfect at it, but typically people will react in which fear will come into play and fear will take over and they'll be scared. And like fear could paralyze us, uh, make us want to lay on the ground and like we can get injured by fear. Yeah. But if you accept the unknown, the uncomfortableness just as, as that, that it's the unknown, um, you've never experienced it before. Like you don't have to assign fear to it. So this would be responding to something. You could just like, simply acknowledge saying, wow, I've never done this before how can I proceed carefully or what can I learn from this scenario to, you know, mitigate my risk uh, of danger in those things, but how can I still proceed with the knowledge that I have in a, in a careful kind of thought out way? So um, I just look at it as to me, I think of uh, who we are as individuals in the world is our experience shapes our perception of the world, whatever stories you have. So, um, for example, I've never really got to experience being on a big giant mountain tied into a bunch of people. And I recognize that, but it was just like, this is the process. There's other groups out here doing this. Like, you know, thousands of people a year do this. Uh, you just got to be safe and like be aware and kind of move forward and just uh, look at it as more of a learning opportunity that, uh, than a position to be scared and fearful and not learn from it. That's awesome, man. That's really, really important. Which will give you, which will give you confidence moving forward. And it's kind of like a muscle, like anything. It's almost like doing push-ups every day. Like if you exercise that muscle, that um, the ability to acknowledge the unknown as opportunities to build confidence, then you could proceed in some really great opportunities in the future. Yeah, and you build those skills because now you've you've done alpinism to a certain degree, right? So if you were asked to go back up Mount Rainier, you'd probably feel a lot more confident and a lot yeah, more I'd feel, comfortable. Yeah, i feel a lot more confident. Um, and it was fun because I was putting in, honestly, I was in an environment with three strangers. I didn't know who they were. And as the team leader who I got to organize this trip basically said, 
hey, man, you're the wild card. He's like, I know these other two guys. I know their <laughs> capabilities. He's like, I really don't know anything about you. And I was like, you know what? I fully understand that. And I'm going to check my ego and stuff. And, like, you guys are leaders. Like, whatever you say, I will do because I know this is not my area of expertise. And I'm kind of like, I'm looking to you as your guidance. That's kind of why I've hired you. And um, just knowing where my place is. But now I feel having experienced that, um, I've got much more understanding of the scenario. I wouldn't be completely comfortable going back, but I now possess a lot more knowledge and experience than I, than I did previously. Yeah. So did that camaraderie build throughout the day or did you still get to the yeah, end and kind of felt like strangers or? <laughs> uh, no, camaraderie built pretty quickly. It was fun to, the team was made up of four people and actually uh, we had a running joke to keep things political that we were out there keeping America great because we had, there's four of us from uh, four different areas all across the country. One guy's from L.A., one was from Seattle, one was from Denver, and I'm from Iowa. So we're like, here we are, four people from all over the country working together, keeping it great, like, you know, making a political joke. Yeah. But um, you quickly, you know, um, you're going to spend, uh, you know, 30-plus hours with four guys, and here your life is in the hands of these people, and you – you can kind of quickly start to assess people and their personalities and who each other kind of are and how they work, but camaraderie built and everyone kind of had their position in the team. Like I found that, uh, which is probably a natural strength of mine as far as like keeping the morale up, keeping the morale meter going, yeah. uh, being inspirational, encouraging. Like I may not have had the technical skills, but by this point I was very well conditioned. So I had high spirits. I was feeling great on the mountain where a couple of the guys, all came from sea level. So they weren't conditioned and it was a lot harder for them. Um, but it was my role to try and like always check in with everybody, see how they were doing, make sure the morale was up while we had, you know, one guy was very technical. He was leading it and making sure the technicality, the ropes, the procedures. Um, but yeah, so overall I'd say everyone brought their kind of strengths and if they had weaknesses and other people's strengths kind of filled in for that, which all around made us a pretty solid team. That's awesome, man. Was there, I know you told me at one point, um, I think you didn't see this area going up, uh, the mountain cause it was in the dark then, but when you're coming back, you realize that you're in some area where there was just, I think the snow was melting or something. And there was just giant boulders just falling <laughs> randomly around you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. There's the part, um, I can't remember the exact name of something fields, um, is right below the disappointment cleaver. DC, but it was an area where you wanted to move relatively quickly. We would actually shorten up our rope gaps, meaning um, when everyone was stretched out, we had about 10 feet, uh, no, 30 feet, I think, 10 or I can't remember, it depends, like 10 to 30 feet between each individual. Okay. Uh, it would have been 10 feet, excuse me. So we had like 10 feet between each individual, but then we, um, but then if we wanted to move quicker, we would shorten that rope to say maybe five feet, right? So and we would do this because it was in the dark and way up above, like the ice and um, glaciers and stuff are melting, but groups are way ahead of you. So like someone could step on a rock and it can come falling. It could trigger a bunch of other rock falls. And uh, all this debris is falling, which is very deadly. Yeah. And at night you're just kind of moving quickly and fast because you can't see a whole lot besides your headlamp kind of in front of you and the path you're walking on. But coming back down, you could then like, it was bright daylight and you could see, see these huge crevasses that we navigate around and stepped over, which means like this is where the glacier has separated and you could fall 
100, 200 feet, sometimes you can't even see the bottom of it, wow. into these holes, right, which could very much kill you, very dangerous. But um, And on top of that, not only are you navigating these things, but up above, you could all of a sudden just hear, like, these loud crashing noises, and you could just watch huge boulders and rocks come tumbling and flying down, like, a few hundred feet in front of you. Like, in this path, that pathway, you see you have to go across. It's kind of like, holy crap, when you're out there, you're exposed. Like, at any point, something from way up above uh, can come flying down and get you. It's, like, very, very frightening. And um, in the daylight, it was frightening. It's like, you all of a sudden just look, and you see this whole field of debris of, like, what the rangers and other people were uh, telling you about to be careful of, like, why you need to move quickly. And now, like, with the daylight's on, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's tons of stuff constantly falling from above us in this specific area. So we need to move quickly and safely. That's unreal, man. How how long of an area? Like, how long did that take you to get through, approximately? Um, I think uh, less than an hour, I believe. Okay. You know, um, probably 45 minutes to an hour. Let's just say safely an hour. But um, you're definitely there. You're exposed. So, so it was 40, yeah. <clears throat> 45 minutes of thinking at any second a rock could hit you on the head? Kind of. I mean, you try not to think like I don't necessarily. That's very much can that can put you in a fear paralysis mode. Uh, which If fear kicks in and you freeze and you stand there, you're just now making yourself more susceptible to danger. So, again, kind of going back to kind of being focused, and this is where like you want to try and be very present, focused at the task at hand, and realize that yes, there's these external factors that could be happening. But the best way for me to safely get out of this scenario is to keep moving, which means I need to focus on the environment around me, my team members, and my feet. Like, make sure that, like, we're consistently making quick progress navigating through these fields versus, like, stopping looking around and worrying if you're in, in danger. Now, if you do hear noises, like it sounds like things are tumbling, tumbling down, then, yes, you would stop and look to see, is that in your line of trajectory or are you safe kind of thing? But, um... You definitely want to focus at the task of hand and just kind of keep trying to move as quickly as possible. Because if you get caught up too much about thinking about a rock hitting you on the head, <laughs> then you may not think about where you're stepping. You could very much step into a crevasse and fall into a hole where it's like your most immediate danger is right in front of you. So you should focus on that. That's awesome, man. I'm sure you're going to apply that to your life uh, post 100 Mountains project. Um, but I want to hear... The most amazing story, and I feel bad being so entertained by this story. I really, really do. But uh, can you please explain <laughs> about Mount Stanford? Which, by the way, as an Iowa Hawkeye fan, we already hate Stanford so much for the Rose Bowl last year. And then to hear about this, man, it's uh, I'm done with Stanford. They're out of here, man. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> Mount Stanford is uh, its not a 14er. So it's not one of the 75 talls, but it is maybe uh, it's within a hundred feet short. Therefore it falls on the 100 list. Uh, and it's a mountain up here in the high Sierras. And I was out on a, a backpacking loop in which over the course of four days, I was going to try to grab 10 mountains or so um, because I was backpacking really far in really long mileage. It just made sense to try to be as efficient as possible Which to get these mountains versus backpacking in and out 30 miles at a time yeah time. which that's the difference in california right the california mountains are just a lot longer a lot more elevation yeah a lot more elevation the approaches are much longer just the accessibility isn't there as much like maybe colorado we drive up much closer to the mountain and start your hikes 
Okay. Um, but in this in this scenario, we're on day we're on day. I'm queued up for day four, and I'm like, uh, at this point, I've done seven mountains, and I have what I believe in front of me a really good game plan based on I'm using my topographic maps. Um, I've got a plan. It says my partner. I also kind of had a hiking partner with me. Uh, he was going to head down out of the mountains because he didn't need to climb these. They weren't on his list. So I was like, hey, you take the, the tent, the sleeping gear, you drop it off at this specific location because I'm going to cross it on my way down. I'll pick up my stuff. So that way I didn't need to carry all of my gear while trying to go climb three more mountains because a lot more weight just makes it more strenuous and I didn't need that. Gotcha. So you're, so doing, like, to- you're doing a point to point where you start in one spot, you're going to hike however long to another spot. You're not doing a loop. You're not going up Correct. and back. Okay. Okay. Correct. It was almost like a loop a little bit, but it was very point point. It's kind of like I was going to go out. I was going to go to mountain one, two, and three. And I was supposed to be able to go up the front side of mountain three and come down the backside and get to my sleeping gear. My partner is going to drop off um, very much kind of point system. And then it was the most, what seemed to be the most efficient way to save on mileage and gains for me to get these three mountains. So I had a really good plan in place. And uh, I was thinking, you know what, these three, like, It'll probably take me 12 hours or something. Um, I'll be in town before dinner, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what so, everyone says, man. Um, that's what they all say. That's what, every, that's what they all say. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've learned this lesson many of, kind of times. It's been apparent throughout the trip. But I get up. Um, I hardly sleep at all. First off, like, I go to bed around. I'm exhausted. So I lay down around 8.30, um, thinking I'm going to wake up about 3 a.m. Um, so it's like I'll get some good sleep, but it turns out, we're sleeping very high elevation around 12,000 feet. And I don't know if it was cause it's cold or what, but uh, maybe I was so exhausted. My body just couldn't sleep. And I hardly sleep. I toss and turn. Eventually the alarm goes off. I'm just like, I've got no choice but to get up and start doing this. So the trek to the first mountain I factored based on mileage and stuff should take me about an hour and a half to get to. So naturally two and a half hours later, <laughs> I'm at almost the mountain. So I'm an hour behind almost there. The mountain. I climbed the first, yeah, I, um, I thought I'd be done with the first mountain like at 8 a.m. up and down, and it was 10 a.m. by the time I got up and down and everything. So I was like, okay, I'm already behind on schedule. Let me go to Mount Stanford now, in which Mount Stanford is, uh, has the title of the shyest mountain in California, which just means like it doesn't have a huge prominence, so it doesn't really stick above other mountains. It's very hidden and hard to kind of get to. So it took me, I wasted a couple hours trying to find this thing first off. And I should just went with my gut and chose a shortcut that I thought that I had via my app and GPS waypoints and things. But um, from 10 a.m. in short, I started losing a bunch of time. And I, by the time I got to the base for the ascent of Mount Stanford, it was 4.30 p.m. So wow. I had wasted six and a half hours to get to this thing, which I had budgeted like, an hour of time to get to. Wow. So that's and just the was, base of the mountain, right? That's the base of which I probably have another 2000 feet to 1500 to 2000 feet. Probably to scramble up probably 1500 feet class three, like climbing stuff. Okay. So when I'm there, I, I quickly, I, I realized even a couple hours before that basically running quick math in my head, like by the time I get to the mountain, by the time I climb it, come up down, I move to the next mountain. It was going to be dark before I was even at the third mountain, which I thought I'd actually be out of the mountains before dark. And if you recall, um, I said my hiking partner took all of 
yeah. my <laughs> sleeping gear. So all I have is with me some layers, which is fine. But um, if I'm able to move quickly and get this done. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be climbing some stuff in the dark, which isn't always the most fun thing to do because it makes it more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, at this point, so I, I, I climb Mount Stanford, I go up, I come down, and I'm super tired. And the sun is now setting, and I'm staring across this huge valley that I have to get across and try to get to this other mountain, which I can't even see because I have to go like, down and around another mountain to get there. <laughs> and now I'm just like, man, that's, I'm not sure how many hours that's going to take me even just to get to the mountain, and i got to go up it and then down it. Um, I realize that I'm not going to be in a good scenario. So uh, I was like, well, let me try to make the best of this. Uh, I don't have any sleeping gear, but let me head down into the trees, which is around 12,000 elevation. Uh, so I'll drop 2,000 elevation because it'll be a little bit warmer. A rule of thumb is for every 1,000 feet of elevation, the weather change or the temperature changes three to four degrees. So I'm thinking if I drop 2,000 feet, it'll probably be anywhere six to eight degrees warmer. I'll be out of the wind. Um, maybe I can make it laying on the ground somewhere all bundled up. Genius plan. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I go down to the woods. I find a little camping spot. I put on every piece of clothes that I have. I snuggle in. I just lay on the ground. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I feel really good. Like, I'm nice and toasty. Like, I'm actually warm. Like, you know what? Like, this is going to pan out, I guess it's not going to be too bad. I'll actually be able to fall asleep and actually set my alarm for like five hours later. So I'm like, well, I'm so exhausted. I didn't sleep the night before. I might as well get some good sleep and I'll just wake up and finish this mountain in the dark. Yeah. Which that makes sense, right? Like if you could sleep, that would make total sense. It would make complete sense. So (laughs) I'm laying there in about, I'm kind of going off to dreamland. Uh, Then all of a sudden, like I get jerked awake because I hear like, sounds of animals i turn on my headlight and i look real fast because i'm worried about bears because you have Whoa. to carry bear canisters for food what and was so I'm it like oh my god was that you a know? bear <laughs> like what is it i i don't know all i know is i quickly woke up pointed my headlight and i think it scampered off so dude let's say it was a bear let's say it was a bear or a mountain it, lion riding a bear it Even was better. mountain lion riding the bear so i'm laying there <laughs> on the ground completely exposed just sitting there thinking like and I'm laying on top of my food. Like, I actually don't have bear cancer with me because my hiking partner took it. So I have – my pillow is my food that I'm using because I have all my clothes on. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, am I going to fall asleep and wake up to like a bear licking my face? Like, I don't know, right? These are the things right through my head. So anyways, I fall asleep for maybe about 15 more minutes and I'm in kind of a dreamland. And then my body just naturally, of course, wakes up. And at this point, it's a, a like 30 minutes, I went to sleep around 9 o'clock. It's like now 9.30, and I'm just shivering. And I realized, oh, crap, like I'm not going to be able to sleep. It's going to be freezing. Um, my only choice is to get up and move because always I'm not going to be able to sleep, and I'm going to be very, very cold. But at this point, I'm kind of motivated because I'm like, hey, you know what? I got a power nap. If it takes me an hour and a half to get to the mountain, plus maybe two hours up, that's three and a half hours to the top, then it'll probably just take me two hours down on the backside, I should be at my campsite, and I grab all my sleeping gear, and I can bundle up if I have to. So I'm thinking five, five and a half hours, and I can sleep like a baby. <laughs> so, of course, I get up, and I'm navigating to go to the next mountain, in which the area I'm going has no real trail up to it. So I'm just kind of using a compass on my phone and things and trying to head in the general direction I'm trying to get to. And at about an hour and a half later, my adrenaline is now gone again, and uh, my 30-minute power nap is wore off. 
and I'm exhausted, but I'm all warm again. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just lay down again next to <laughs> this river. This river sounds kind of peaceful. And <laughs> it'll work this time. St- it'll work this time. I'm under these beautiful stars. It's kind of like a planetarium. Um, now I'm up higher, so I'm not necessarily in the trees. <laughs> it's a little bit of wind, but not much. So I just I lay down. I'm like, you know, and I think I'll be able to get a good two hours in. Like this will really energize me. And then about 20 minutes later, <laughs> I wake up shivering. Oh and no! So it's like I've got no choice but to continue. Wow! So that 20 minutes gets me maybe another hour and a half. I'm moving. I'm just so exhausted. Um, Are you like at stumbling this point, at this point? You know, you're so tired. You're stumbling over rocks. So or? tired. You're trip. You're tripling over rocks and all you can think is just like you got to keep moving right like keep heading the direction you're trying to go so maybe after another hour hour and a half uh i'm kind of cold i'm even more tired at this point getting near the 24 hour mark when i've been up a little bit and i haven't had real sleep and i didn't really sleep the night before so i was tossing and turning so geniusly i'm like you know what i'm so tired i'm just gonna curl up and lay against this boulder and push my backpack against the side of me so it kind of like blocks the wind. I'm like, if anything, I'll get another 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then I'll be energized, right? <laughs> so I lay there for about 15 minutes. And again, I'm gaining elevation, so it's just getting colder. Wow. That lasts maybe 15 minutes. And I'm like, no, I got to keep, keep moving. So I get up, keep zombieing it up. And then I make the decision at this point, I've been up for almost 24 hours again. I can't remember the exact time, but I'm like, I'm almost to the base of the mountain, and that means I at least probably have two hours to go up at, at the state that I'm in, probably two and a half, just because I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, and it's a class two mountain, so it shouldn't be, like, too technical or dangerous, but you just don't know at night, because I can't, it's not a full moon. All I can really see is, like, the seven by seven foot surrounding area of what my headlamp is providing. And I'm so tired, and I'm standing there, and now I have the decision to make. It's like, I've come so far, I can either climb the front of this mountain and I'm supposed to be able to go off the backside and get to camp, or I can go to a pass, which means like I can cut over the ridge between two mountains, which wouldn't be as high, and I can just head straight to camp. And that'll probably be safer and it's going to cut time. Yeah. And so at that moment, a couple of remarks jump into my head from some people who reach out and they're like, hey, whatever you do, man, just be safe out there. And I remember a promise I made to my parents and other friends and said, <laughs> I'm going to make the smartest decisions I can out here, like in a vacuum. I'm going to always be safe. And then I asked myself, what would I tell somebody else to do in this moment? That's and super important. my advice would be, my advice would have been, do not climb that mountain, like get to safety. So I decided, I was like, you know what, let me go for the pass and try to get to camp earlier. Like if anything, I'll get over there. I can set up camp, I can sleep for multiple hours, I can wake up and I can re-hike like the four to six hours to go climb this mountain and come back down. Like at least then I know I'll be safe, it'll be in the daylight, it'll lower my risk and all these things. Yeah. So I'm like even though I'd come so far, I go twenty four hours, like it was a hard decision to make, um, but I knew it was the right decision to make. For sure, it definitely so, was. I continue on and still i have to keep climbing up the mountain like between this ridge to get to the path i need to get to and i'm so tired and then i see like a half rock cage (laughs) and i'm like man it's been my dream to sleep in a cave this isn't even like a real cave but i'm so tired let me try for like another 30 minutes 
I love, like, dude, I love your optimism. <laughs> how you keep thinking it's going to work. You keep saying, oh, yeah, man, this time is going to be the time. This time it's going to work. Even though, like, uh, obviously I keep climbing higher, so it's getting colder and more tired. Like, it's not going to work. Like, yeah. This is like your brain, when you're sleep deprived, is equivalent to being drunk. You're making bad decisions. Like, you can't rationalize very well, which is something that I remembered before I chose not to descend that ascend that mountain because I could have gotten danger. I could have made bad decisions. Yep. So I kind of curl up at a ball in the small little cave thing. And then about seven minutes later this time, wow. I'm just like freezing. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm like, I have no choice but to keep moving. Soon the sun is going to come up and at least that'll energize me or at least it'll show me where I'm going. Like that's, what's really hard when you're like walking in the dark with a headlamp. And it was just like the never ending story. It didn't end. Like eventually I got up to the past and I thought, Oh, one more hour and I'll be back to camp. And like when I got to the top, which means then like the top of the ridge where I could drop down, it just kept getting not necessarily worse, but it was still another probably two hours or so. Yeah. Maybe two and a half hours to get to camp. And I eventually got to my campsite where my, where my camping gear is around eight thirty the next morning. <laughs> I got my stuff. So, like, 28 uh, hours later. Yeah, like, 28 hours later, around, it, was, it was around the 30-hour mark, 20 hour, 28 hours, something like that. Um, I'd seen two sunrises. I'd walked about close to 40 miles, I think. Like, 35 miles is a lot. Um, I just quickly set up tent and stuff and knew I was like, let me get two hours of sleep because I know I still have a four-hour walk down out of the mountains at this point. Um or I was going to go back and do that other mountain. But at that point, I was just like, you know what? I need to get out of the mountains. I'll have to refresh myself and then come back and do this mountain on a different day. Uh, so I lay down for about two hours, got a little bit of sleep, woke up. Still a little bit tired, but was just like, I need to get out of here, like, safely so I can get down into, like, civilization, get refreshed. And um, basically, I boogied down in about three hours. Yeah, three hours. I made really good time. I just, like, moved fast. I just using every ounce of energy I could to safely get out of there. So uh, a lot of lessons learned on that one. For sure, man. And I for definitely need to have you back on the podcast. And obviously we'll talk in a couple of days. Um, You have quite the, just really quick, what's your schedule over the next, like you're finishing California, right? Yep. So um, since I've chosen, officially announced I'm doing the 100 highest, I've got 10 remaining mountains here in California in which I actually hope to plan to get them all in the next five days. I'm going in, I'm going to be doing (laughs) tomorrow. I'm going to do one mountain. I'll come out and then uh, I'll be doing another kind of backpacking schedule in which these are unique because I should be able to go up and all within like uh, a mile, like a half mile area. They're, they're technical, which we're going to have to use some ropes and stuff, but I can get a lot of these peaks hopefully. So we're going to try to get, most of them all in a day but overall hopefully in the next five days i can finish uh california and the last mountain actually is the one that i didn't do that night the other night because uh, i need to hike up it's going to be sweet like revenge. A mile day. It'll, sweet revenge redemption it'll be a very long day but i saved that just because it was demoralizing i was like you know what? if i put that as the very last one like i'll have the last bit of energy when I get down to these other ones saying, you know what, like this is my last one I have to do here and then I can move on. So oh. um, then I'll go back to Colorado and finish up uh, mountains there. That's great, man. That's great. Well, uh, if people want to follow your story, I guess, where could they, where could they go? Yeah. 
the best way is to follow me on Instagram, which is Calvin dot Johansson. Um, that's I'm gonna be honest, man. <laughs> there you go. I was yeah. gonna say I've been your friend for so many years now, and every time I spell your last name, I'm still like, okay, is there two H's or two N's or two S's? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's our, I, I would say the best way to get to that is if you go to my website, Fourteeners Project. Uh, shorthand, so one four ers project dot com. Right on the front there, it has my Instagram account, um, how to follow me, all that stuff, how to stay in touch with the whole journey that I'm doing. So I recommend checking out 14ersproject.com. You can see more about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how to follow the journey. Awesome, man. Well, I have the most respect for you, and you're one of my best friends in the whole world. And I just hope you keep staying safe. I know you're going to finish, so I can't even say, like, I hope you finish because... You're going to, but uh, but yeah, man, stay safe. Maybe, and... maybe to keep people uh, a cliffhanger. I just now remembered, even though we'll call it the zombie night and I did thirty plus hours, yeah, uh, all through the night. But now I just remember that moment in Colorado in which I was honestly the scariest position I've ever been in, in which I thought I had a, I was in a very bad scenario to be um, to have some very dangerous things happened to me and yes. which maybe we can tell that story next time. And Dude. I was trying to save myself, but yet it was one of those things where I really thought I was going to end up in a newspaper and not in a good way. Oh but, my uh, God. Maybe we can share that story next time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we need to, I'll maybe when you're driving to Colorado, we'll call and podcast with you again, brother. Perfect. So, all right. That was, uh, <laughs> the first episode that I'm swishing together. Um, and then we're going to flash forward in time. I don't know. That's like time travel noises or something. Uh, we're going to flash forward in time. A few months later, Calvin actually came over. I was the first episode. I was actually living in Virginia still. Um, then my wife and I had moved to Colorado. Calvin came after like on his way home, on his way back to Iowa. Uh, he came over sat down in our apartment, our tiny apartment. You can hear my kids through the wall. It's a genius. Uh, and sat down and kind of told us more tales, more misadventures from the 14ers project. So let's hop into that. Uh, I, can't, I was talking to one of my hiking partners, I'm sure along the way, um, of just being like, wow, when I got to the final summit, we were kind of rushed off it because we still had a really long night to get back to camp. My partner was shot. Um, so we kind of rushed out, but it was just kind of like very anticlimactic, climatic, climactic, climactic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, so anticlimactic that I don't know. I can't speak anymore. But uh, which kind of reminded me of Joe Grant's thing. He also did. Mm -hmm. He was an uh, ultra runner who biked and ran the 14ers in Colorado. He talked about yeah when he finished, he was just like pulled up into his driveway and. It was just like oh you're done. It was very anticlimactic. Sat on his porch, right? Just sat on his dog. porch, and. It did. It hit me. I, I was backpacking out of the yeah, what Palisades. Was the last, what was the last mountain? So I went back to finish a Palisades Traverse, and Mount Sill would have been my final mountain. And then uh, we stayed at camp that night. We backpacked out the next day. And I remember finally getting out, which I was, I was just excited to be done with it, you know, to get to the parking lot. Yeah. Um, and I remember, and now we're kind of going on a tangent, I ran into a guy there, an older guy. He, like, offered me a beer and his wife, and I was just kind of like, nah, like really wasn't feeling celebratory. I was waiting to get into town. 
And I don't know why. It just, like, hadn't really hit me. But overall, yeah, no big parade, no big, hey, it's over. It's just kind of uh, the idea that it really was more about the journey than the end destination where a lot of people get caught up in that destination. And maybe at some point I did, too, a little bit. Uh, after you go so long, you're like, oh, something's going to be big on this final day. But you realize, I don't know, it's probably a metaphor for life and a lot of other things that it just is. Well, mountain climbing is kind of perfect for that. Because the destination is always at the top. And unless you're getting helicoptered away, once you get to the top, you have to hike all the way back. Yeah, the thing with climbing mountains is, yeah, everyone thinks the summit's the end point. Um, there's kind of a famous saying around Mount Everest, right? Probably the most famous mountain in the world. It's the biggest mountain. But everyone thinks getting to the summit, they've made it, they succeeded. But they're only half done because they actually have to go back down. And that's where a lot of deaths typically happen because people yeah. have exhausted themselves not saving some in the tank, being smart for the descents. Like, that's where it gets people. Also, I think I've heard about that in, in athletic events or races, that most injuries and accidents happen, like, on that last, like, 20% near the finish line. Or it might even mean less number than that, just because people, they think they've, they're done. It's over, so they kind of start coasting, and they don't pay attention as much. And like, that's where the easy accidents and slip-ups happen. Yeah, they change their form or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So you're not done until you're done. And with mountain climbing... You gotta go up and then you gotta come down. Yeah, so even like after you got to the top, you're like, well, I still have to go down until technically I'm through this project. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I guess so sitting on the summit of Mount Sill, which we had a very long ways to go. I don't think we realized how far. A, just get back to camp that night after a very exhausting day. But then just even the backpack out the next day, like the eight miles or 10 miles or something. But yeah, you weren't. And then I had to. Still drive from <laughs> then. I was in California and I had to drive all the way back to Des Moines. Like, that's kind of like that road trip of still, like, I'm still in this. Of like, it really doesn't end until yeah. maybe I get back to Des Moines and I yeah. can finally clean out my car. <laughs> like, which was like weeks later. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, not to drive, but cleaning. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I spent, you know, uh, I spent like an extra week in Colorado just kind of decompressing a little bit, seeing some friends before. Maybe I was just delaying going back to the real world. But yeah. then when I got back, it did take me like another week to finally maybe overcome post-depression or something to like start taking action and clean my car yeah. and start working on what was next or just getting back into the flow of life. Dude, it's not, it's probably not post-protect, uh, post-depression maybe. <laughs> like it was, right? Like I, I've had that experience just coaching football too. Yeah. I mean, once you are so focused on one thing for months at a time... And then that one thing is over with, you kind of are like, what the hell do I do with my life now? Yeah, sense, <laughs> that sense of intense focus, they talk about that the post-marathon blues often, which I kind of experienced that in the past before. For a lot of marathon runners, they set this really big goal, especially if you're a first-time marathon runner, and you put all this training into it, like a 16 or 20-week like a twenty week program, yeah. and you finally do it, and then it's kind of like, whoa, you did it, but then you don't have a training schedule anymore, and you're just kind of like, well, what? now and it is you'll fall into this cycle which people do it's kind of like the lull of coming off such an incredible high it's that ebb and flow you gotta kind of hit kind of down low and just being like you know trying to reflect accept and adjust back into normal life a little bit before you can get back onto things so i spent like a couple honestly when i got back to des moines a solid two weeks for sure if not upwards probably to a full month by the time i really started to get back in the groove of things but i know the first week I just couldn't pull myself to do anything, especially professionally, like getting back on the flow. 
Um, I had a little bit of drive still. The only thing that kept me going was some routines like, oh, let me go to the climbing gym or at least work out. Like, let me get out of the house, out of the funk a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it took me like a couple weeks to like kind of get over that funk and start to accept that mountain climbing was over. <laughs> and, like this crazy adventure. For the season. For the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, like maybe really a month to really get my feet going again. And I mean, in such an experience like this where I purposely took a break in life to try and thinking I'd get clarity for other focuses and I come back with more confusion than I do have clarity. Um, but yeah, so just kind of like a, whoa, now it's just a matter of keep making decisions about that whole journey, not the destination thing. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, things did you have clarity about that became confusion? Um, that's a really good question. The one thing that was really clear to me, obviously, is just uh, getting out and actually doing the project and getting comfortable with it, like comfortable like being on my own, seeking an adventure, uh, going out in the world on my own was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but realizing the importance of adventure and taking more trips and doing those types of things and, and being up and moving my body. All of a sudden I got back and I used to, I didn't mind like car, long road trips and stuff, but now I have a really hard time sitting. And just like after I was being so active for 100 plus days, every single day where I was just up moving my body, now to go back and sit at my computer again and work on client work is just like uh, there's friction there in my life for sure. Um, just like that doesn't make me happy and it leads like a downward spiral of um, other habits in my life. So it's like we're trying to figure out I still love being creative and I do love working with computers and software and creative projects and helping clients and people. Um, but it's like I also don't like sitting down for eight or ten hours. I really like being up and moving yeah. around. Um, the idea of focus and how... I've always struggled in the past with working on way too many things at once. And when you're trying to go everywhere, you're actually going nowhere. Yeah. And so what I really liked about taking on this kind of project, the bit of a sabbatical, was the full focus was like I was putting client work, I was putting work on hold, and I was going out. My only objective was to get to the top. Um, and the first part of the challenge was the 75 mountains, but eventually it expanded to 100. And that was my only objective was to complete that list. And that meant every day was really just broken down saying like, what do I only have to focus on today? Which is usually just this one or two mountain summit. Like that's the only thing I have to worry about. And that was incredible feeling, the hyper focus and the power of that over consistency over a long duration of what that adds up to. Uh, So I knew I was like, man, I know I've needed the power of choosing one thing in my life and choosing 100% focus and discipline. I know what results I could give potentially. Uh, and knowing that now when I go back to, into my regular life, it's like, all right, I want to implement that exactly what I just learned. I knew those principles, but now I really experienced it. But then soon it's like, but then here I am sitting with all these ideas and pathways and opportunities. And You're an idea man. idea man. I'm totally an idea man. Now I'm back in my own perpetual cycle. Where you have like 20 things that you want to work on. Trying to do 20 things I want to work on. <laughs> like It's really frustrating. And they're all great ideas, but yeah. focusing on one or maybe even two or three of them would be... Yeah, it's funny. I'd find myself being like, all right, here's the thing I'm going to do. Well, let me narrow it down to one or two. Okay, maybe three things. And it's like... Even allowing, to be honest, you like adding in a second thing is still taken away from that main focus of one. Like when I was doing the mountain project, and it was probably unique of, it's like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to climb 100 mountains. That's what this is. I didn't have anything else like, and I'm also going to do this and do this. There was none of that. It was just like, here's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I had to do that because if I would have been distracted or trying to do one or two other things, I probably wouldn't have completed those summits. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think it needs to be said right now. 
that uh, you're the first live in studio guest. It's true. I don't know if you guys picked up on that of the beer opening, but I'm in. I don't know, the Warden's Den? The war- We're trying to come up with a good name. I'm trying to come up with a name for a sit-in, so if anyone out there listening has a good name for Like a Bigfoot podcast with Chris Ward, <laughs> if someone comes and sits down in his studio, what it should be called. Yeah, and I want you to imagine the studio right now. It's beautiful, obviously not soundproof because every episode has a screaming baby in the background. Maybe an airplane that went by. An airplane. We're basically, we're in an airplane. Life's not perfect. It's, you know. <laughs> it's definitely not just a tiny desk in the corner of my bedroom. Did you just shoot down the idea that we could have been in an airplane, like an Air Force One, but you just said we weren't? Oh, no, we're in an airplane, for <laughs> sure. Like that's Chris's what... bedroom is in an airplane. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Just Dead. always flying around. But this is a perfect example of, yes, we're just sitting in your bedroom but you're making do with what you have and you could have waited until you tried to make things more perfect or you had more equipment but it's like instead mm-hmm. you're just getting this done and uh-huh. you're experimenting with this and you're putting out episodes which is kind of your commitment it's kind of like, yeah yeah it's been amazing just the path of people i've been able to talk to yeah like my when i think of on this project of it's not like i prepared a lot of things to be honest with you i decided really fully do it like march or april like, I've been thinking about it for a while, but I officially committed in, like, March or April, and I had, like, two months once I committed to get it done, and it's like, oh, at that point, once I committed, I was like, I should probably put together an itinerary, and maybe I should actually research these mountains to see if I could even do them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, eventually, I kind of got, like, a loose itinerary together and a few supplies. It was just like, let's go, and, like, I left on the journey with my car was even put together. I wasn't even organized. I was late, so I just threw a bunch of stuff in my car, and I started driving west. <laughs> That's how it started, which is kind of the story of my life. Yeah. But it's like I could have sat around and kept trying to prepare and do more research and wait until the right perfect moment, which is never going to happen. Like the right perfect moment is when you make that little courageous decision of like, you know what? I'm committing to this and I'm going to do it within my limitations I currently have and just go with it, you know, a little bit blindly yeah. or be a little bit naive about it, but just keep going forward. Well, like over over analyzing something can just paralyze you from even trying to or releasing anything paralysis by analysis yeah i was listening to yvonne chenard who is the founder of patagonia and he talked about one of his specialties of building one of the world's biggest clothing brands is he often just does things and doesn't know how to do them so he like accidentally started a clothing company originally started a climbing company and that's because they were trying to make better tools for their own problems so they can climb mountains better yeah and all of a sudden he was like oh this shirt would be really cool for climbers because there's a rugby shirt so more durable so like the equipment hanging on you wouldn't rub against your neck and stuff and he goes i didn't know anything about clothing but i decided like i was going to sell a pair of shorts or a shirt he goes i didn't know anything about patterns he goes i tore it all apart i figured out how to kind of stitch it with this lady i was working with and he goes contrary to a bunch of other people out there he's like there's people who analyze everything to a t need all the scientific of the, nat- uh, the data and the numbers to make a decision he goes, I just kind of go on my intuition and like the power of naivety and just kind of moving yeah. forward just and making progress that way. Yeah. Like, I mean, for me with this podcast project, a lot of the times the intros I'm not completely satisfied with, but there, there comes a certain point where it's like, hey, man, I'm just going to put it out. If you don't get it out now, it's kind of blocking what may come anyways, because like if you spend a whole year or a week trying to work on a perfect podcast intro then you can't work on the next podcast yeah. intro. And it's you just got to keep strengthening that muscle. It's like if you're working on your first 10 push-ups, 
but you're just thinking about them and never doing them. You're never going to vote yourself to do that 11th push-up yeah. someday. Yeah, before um, you were on episode number two, um, and we talked about your very first mountains on the 14 or on the project yeah. and they're two like notoriously easy mountains quotation marks and you just got lost going to the, you went to the wrong trailhead and you made it super hard <laughs> yeah but we got it done like yeah Grays and Tories yeah. we to start the project off we drove in that night and thought we'd camp at the trailhead and I've done these before so I was like oh I know what to expect yeah and we just punched into Google Maps and there's lessons right there already uh, that all these magical trailheads aren't gonna be on Google that's Maps that's what and that's the point I'm getting at I mean you learned after that experience yeah like oh yeah Google Maps might as well be a useless tool at this point. Yeah, or there's just more. It's not useless, but it's potentially it's an aid. But there's other research I need to be doing. Yeah. But also, it kind of dealt with the consequence. We woke up in that morning. We're like, <laughs> I calculated. And I was like, shit, we're already behind. It's gonna take us two hours at least to drive out and around. I was calculating potential thunderstorms at noon, just trying to play it safe. And yeah. I was like, if we don't go now, like I'm already gonna be behind today, or it's gonna be off. So I know the summit's up that way. Let's try to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the day was twice as long as hard as it should have been on day one out the gate, but <laughs> it made for an incredible experience and a lot of lessons there. Definitely, man. Well, um, also last time you left us on a literal cliffhanger, <laughs> and I believe you're in the Wilson Peak range. Maybe that was it. Well, I remember we did this podcast. I was out in California, but I think yeah, you're halfway through the project at that point. Or a little more than halfway because you just expanded it to 100. Yeah, because we did yeah. Rainier and I did some California. Um, we talked about your 30, 30 hour event. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the little cliffhanger that we didn't talk about was maybe one more scarier kind of moments of in the project. Was it the most, the scariest moment? Yeah, I would say so. Even though like the 30 plus hour kind of thing, it was a different kind of scary of. Like, I knew, I think I was going to get through that, but this one was a potential, like, I could see myself being seriously injured. And it was, so it was quite frightening. Yeah. Um, one of those, like, you walk away from it, and then, you know, 10 hours later, you're like, I'm across the state again, and I'm just, like, going to do some more mountains the next day. I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened, you know? <laughs> uh, the quick story is uh, the Wilson Group has three mountains, and it, one of them, between two of them is a, one of the famous four big traverses in Colorado, I think the um, Mount Wilson or is it Wilson Peak? Mount Wilson to El Diente has a as a traverse, and I didn't actually read much about it, so I just figured like, oh, it should, shouldn't be that bad. Um, but during that time, that weather area was monsoon season, so there's a lot of storms. So I was really trying to beat them, and here I was going to try to do all three of these mountains in a day. Um, which is doable, it's just a very big day and you gotta be really conditioned. So I set off and right away, I'm just in a cloud basically all day long. Like maybe I can see 20, 30 feet. Uh, and I do that way all the way up to first Wilson Peak. Um, and it wasn't too bad then or? It's still like you couldn't see, like I could maybe see 30 feet, but I kept like, there's yeah. kind of a trail I was moving with it. So, you know, it was working out. And then between Wilson Peak to go to head down that summit and continue on to go over to Mount Wilson, um, I got lost. <laughs> uh, I couldn't, because the, the cloud coverage was so thick, I couldn't see like where I was trying to go. I was just trying to use like a GPS navigator on my phone. 
Um, so I got a little lost there, so I lost time, and time is really precious because these thunderstorms are happening like 100% chance at noon, yeah. right? Um, but all of a sudden, the clouds like opened up and showed me Mount Wilson. I was like, oh my God, so it's right there. So I kind of scramble up that and uh, get to the top, to the summit, which again, I can see the clouds open up, but they quickly close within you know, 15, 10 minutes. It's kind of weird how it happens that way. Um, but it showed me that mountain, so I scrambled up it. And then uh, I was like, all right, now I got to do this traverse. I've got some uh, beta, which is climber slang for information on a route. And I was like, okay, well, it's a, like a class three-ish route. It's technical in some spots, um, but doesn't sound too bad. And at this point, I was already, I had maybe like, it was maybe 11 or 10.30. I was already behind and it was getting close for thunderstorms for sure going to be there. So I jet off to head to do the traverse. And instead of taking a left, I took a right because I was doing the tra traverse backwards how more nor normal people do it. So I was trying to decipher the information and try to like work it in reverse. And instantly I found myself, I was, I knew I was off trail and I was on some really steep technical stuff. And at this point, the time was like, it was too late. Like I was like, I need to, what would I tell anyone else to do in this scenario? It seemed like I couldn't really backtrack because I was kind of heading down a little bit, but I was also just, I was stuck. I could only see like 15 feet at a time. So I was like, okay, if I could find like a couloir or like a gully, I can probably just work my way off this mountain and get out of here and I just won't get El Diente. I'll have to forfeit it and figure out how to do it another time. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to make the good calls. Like, all right, I'm going to bail on this traverse. Um, you know, I swallowed my pride and my ego a little bit. I was like, I need to be safe because I'd already had a few close calls the prior week with lightning and stuff like that. That was just too scary. So I'm heading, I'm like, so I'm trying to head off. And like every time I kept going down, I thought, okay, if I just move 15 more feet, it'll reveal itself, but it's got to get safer. <laughs> yeah. And I was in, in the Wilson group, the, the rock texture stuff is like a lot of, I think lies the term. I'm not good with my geology. Okay. Um, but when the rock gets wet, it's super slippery. And so I had these new shoes that I've been working with for like a few days in which the tread, I wasn't digging them. Like I just found them really slippery. And I'm thinking, is it the shoes, is it the rocks? Like, I don't know, but these were not, I mean, they're trail running shoes. They're not rock climbing shoes. Yeah. And soon I found myself on stuff that even if I had maybe a rope and some rock climbing shoes with my experience, I don't know that I'd be that super comfortable with. But I, I just, I had no choice. It's like I could... At one point, I was sitting there, and I'm like, well, I could sit here and try to wait the storm out that is coming. And it's like... For so, sure coming. For in sure Colorado, coming. Colorado, it's 100%. Yeah, and I was in monsoon season. Like, it was it was scheduled 100%. It was coming. So I was sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I could sit here in this spot for the next six hours and hope a storm comes through, which is coming, but hopefully it passes. In the meantime, I'm super exposed. I'll get struck by lightning, and then like, maybe it'll all clear up, and I can see where to go. Yeah. Because I couldn't see anything, but I was like... Or I'll just keep trying to slowly move down. Like I was like, that sounds like a bad idea to just be a sitting duck exposed. <laughs> but man, I kept trying to move down. It was so sketchy and like doing actual like kind of free climbing stuff. Um, probably like on grade like five five, maybe five six kind of stuff. Man. Probably like five five, five four, five five. But it was wet and slippery, and it was just like at any moment I'm looking down, it's like I can see myself falling 30, 40 feet here. And this is how I break a leg and ankle or something. Yeah. And I'm stuck. I, I see exactly how this happens. And here I was trying to bail and get off the mountain safely, <laughs> but I was screwed. 
So after having about a panic attack, which is trying to be as calm as possible, being like, I need not to get in my head because I need to focus so I can get out of here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the clouds like part. And I see kind of where I'm on the mountain. Yeah. And I look back up and I see an opening. And I was like, oh, I know where I'm at. <laughs> I'm kind of half down this. I'm like, I can see myself getting out of here. Or now that I see a direct route back up to get on track onto the ridge, uh, I can still get to the other summit. So I was like, here's a chance, a moment of glory. Let's just go for it. So yeah. like an idiot, I start heading back up to the mountain. <laughs> I get up to the ridge, and just this huge crack of thunder just oh. rattles the whole place. Dude, you can't – if you're listening to this, you can't see me, but my eyes are like – I haven't blinked in like three minutes, and my heart is going crazy. So – it just huge thunder just rattles me and I instantly turn and look on the other side of the ridge and in the mountain behind like two mountains back it's just pitch black and I was like my exact words were you are a fucking idiot like why didn't you go off this <laughs> so I didn't I was like I have oh 15 God, minutes I gave myself like a time I was like I, you get Calvin like 15 20 minutes you got to get to the other summit don't even think and just move and once I was back on top of the ridge on the traverse part much easier like I didn't even have to think and I, uh, it turned out the part that I was down climbing uh, on the wrong side of the trail, the route, was the steepest part of the mountain. <laughs> so I was like, I bailed on the wrong side. Like, that's what got me in the real trouble. Oh, okay. So, because it, it had I gone the other way originally, when I left the other summit of Mount Wilson and took a left, I would have caught the trail and I would have stayed up on the ridge and been okay. But I tried to bail off the steepest part on the right side which is not good and i'm assuming you're the only person up there yeah so at this point i'm like i'm the only person i saw someone else earlier in the day on a different mountain but like i'm for sure like the only person up there yeah so i'm like all right now that i'm back on top of the ridge i'm like i got like 15 minutes i'm just gonna not even think i'm booking it because i felt a lot safe i felt safer at that point from the ground and the terrain i was on um so i knew i could just scramble and kind of almost like fast-paced walk across it all um, not no longer like on a cliffside, yeah. but I have these thunderstorms behind me, which in a matter of 10, 15 minutes can just be right on top of you, yeah. right? So I'm just cruising and I come around a corner and I'm probably about a few minutes under the summit and I run into somebody. Shocking. No way, really? <laughs> I ran into a dude. No way. Yeah. In my exact words, go. I go, oh my God, there's someone as dumb as I am that's out here right now. And running into him was instantly so comforting because I had this thought in my mind saying, well, if I was to get discovered on the news because I get electrocuted and died, there'll be two of us. And they'll think, well, like, oh, Calvin wasn't just the only idiot out here. Two people got caught in it together. Like, they're probably trying to get off and didn't make it. So it was like, there's comfort in that there's two idiots out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, my dad's uh, right behind me. He's just come out the summit. So I'm like, oh, yes, there's three idiots now. <laughs> and it was this weird sense of, like, comfort. Even yeah. though we weren't in a comfortable position, but just knowing, like, oh my god, there's two other humans here. I've been so stressed. So I quickly, like, get up on the summit, just tag it. I'm coming off, and I'm like, all right, two guys, like, let's figure out a plan of attack. I'm much faster than these dudes. At this point, it's kind of like, it's, you gotta think about yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't, like, pick somebody up and move them down the mountain. Um, and we kind of found a trail, a different trail off the mountain, like, at some Cairns. We just started going for it, and I was like, guys, I think this is it. It's working, and it was. And then I just, like, moved fast and got off that thing yeah. I didn't hear anything I think they also made it safely yeah. but once I got down it and then up and over uh, the other ridge the what's the term I'm looking for uh, like a pass through um, well the other side of the trail oh, I had like to, the saddle like a, a saddle yeah um, a pass that's what it's called yeah. wow pass so 
the saddle pass to get up out of there. And I remember then finally my heart just settling being like, I, at that point I knew I was kind of in the clear. I felt a lot better. And then I was about 20 minutes down on the other side of the saddle. And it was just like crazy storming behind me up where I all just was. And I was just like, I can't believe I just got out of that. And it was yeah. like, I was literally kind of like shaking of just thinking of the tiniest slip, which would have happened to any second when I was on that super steep stuff. And I was trying to bail up the mountain, like trying to do the smart yeah. thing, but I was just lost. I was in cloud coverage and I was like, and all by myself, you know, it's like, I really saw myself. That's how I turned up on the news for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was by far the most intense thing. Dude, I'm sure for, I'm sure your mom, my mom, me and everybody else that was following your journey are so thankful that you made it through safe. Like it's, I mean, you didn't even hurt yourself whatsoever. Like not even a twisted ankle. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, a hundred days, like you could have just, I mean, if you've been on these mountains, <laughs> the fact like you have to step on loose boulders, yeah. the fact that you didn't even just like slightly injure yourself is a, pretty much a miracle. Yeah. I would say, and there was a few times, like some little steps, I would just like step my whole ankle. Yeah. It's like almost what I feel like 90 degrees. I'd be like, that's how I break my ankle or sprain it. And I got to like crawl out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think I attribute thankfully to my body responding well of before leaving, like having decent, being in decent shape, but being, having decent mm -hmm. mobility kind of in my joints and stuff. So my body could take some of those conditions that they were put into, um, that I'm super glad that like my ankle and I'd roll it like I would, but it would just kind of bounce back and it wouldn't be super sprained just yeah. because like the mobility I've been kind of like building into them. But I am quite grateful that no serious injuries or anything happened because anything could easily happen at any point. Well, and I always have this feeling it doesn't matter if the mountain's super hard or scary or just a regular 14er, but you get above treeline and you start hiking and it takes usually two to three hours at like the minimum <laughs> above treeline and you get this weird kind of, it's a kind of a freeing feeling where you feel completely free, but it's also a little bit terrifying because you are responsible for getting yourself down. Because yeah. if something happens to you up there, it's gonna be very difficult to get anyone else to help you down the mountain. Or if you get caught in a storm or anything like that, like the clouds moving in, it's, it's a difficult process. And it's kind of scary, even when you're on like a nice bluebird, beautiful day with not a cloud in the sky, you still get that feeling of like, dude, I'm up in it. Like I'm away from society right now. If something happens, I have to be able to be the one that gets me down. Yeah. There's a, and I found myself in a few scenarios out there. And like, that's like, it kind of went back to that 30 hour story in the last podcast <laughs> where I got caught out like 30 plus hours, like having to go through the night, keep moving. I couldn't sleep because I was freezing cold. Um, another moment, like earlier in my journey, I was doing this traverse between Harvard and Columbia and I was so exhausted, but I just, a few humbling moments uh, where it just came to me, I realized like nobody is coming to save me. Like I'm out there all by myself. It's up to me to get back. Like I have to find the power, the willpower, the strength, courage inside me somewhere to keep moving because no one's going to come here and bail me out. Yeah. And that's a very humbling experience once you get to that point in life. And I think that's great attitude, like to really experience that and carry that through life with taking real ownership and responsibility in your life. Um, but yeah, if something, an accident does happen up on those mountains and summits or really far away from civilization, you know, there is search and rescue team that can mm -hmm. make it to you and things. <clears throat> 
But those things are going to be on a huge delay, so you could easily find yourself uh, being out there, you know, for a day or two days before somebody can hike in and get to you and find you, so to speak. So even if you are out there and you get caught and say you really mess up a leg and you can't even walk out, like, do you have the clothes? Most likely not to stay perfectly comfortably warm all night or the food rations or the water to lay there exposed above tree line where you can't kind of go for coverage anywhere. So... Yeah, it's that sense of you have to kind of have a little bit of understanding of what you're yourself into for, you know, just planning logistics purposes. Um, but, like, don't let that hold you back either, knowing that it's not a 100% guarantee that something can go wrong. It's If something may go wrong, you just got to justify what you're willing to put yourself into condition-wise and scenario and how you're going to face it and how you're going to proceed yeah. with that. Well, and you are just anybody out there. You're so much more powerful and willing to or, or able to endure than you would think, you know, like you're going to be able to survive situations that maybe you think you wouldn't be able to survive. That being said, if you're out there listening and you're kind of like, they're being overdramatic, people die on these things every year and like multiple times throughout the year. Like we heard of, uh, uh, when we did the maroon bells, we heard about the guy that went missing like a week before us. And yeah, I think even on my journey alone, I have to look at it, but at least probably a half a dozen people died this summer on the 14ers I was involved in. Yeah, even as we were doing the Maroon Bells during that week, like uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave went missing, uh, and they still have yet to find him to give his family at all uh, closure. And he was an experienced mountaineering guy, uh-huh. um, a former like Marine, I think. So an outdoors kind of guy, but stuff can happen. It doesn't matter if you're in the greatest shape ever or have the best skills. Like some of the best mountaineers, like they end up accidents just happen. Just accidents, man. Like you. You mentioned uh, we did South Maroon together, which I've spoke about on this before. Because um, first of all, I was terrified, but like, thank you, man, for making me do that. Because yeah. it, it honestly just it opened up my mind to what the possibilities are. Because it was scary, I'd say, but it, once you broke it down into like just the steps you had to take in front of you, it wasn't as intimidating as you'd think. And. Uh, Anyways, I know you mentioned when you did North Maroon, which is, if you don't know the Maroon Bells, look them up. They're the, like, two most famous. So it's the most photographed mountains <laughs> yeah. in the world. Remember when we were walking at, like, <laughs> 5 in the morning, right? So there's this lake, and then there's the Maroon Bells in the background. And it's, like, the most fo- famous photograph of mountains ever. And at 5 in the morning, we're walking, we have our headlamps <laughs> on, and we're walking by that lake, and, like, we kind of glanced over, and it looked like... <laughs> The Walking Dead. Like, there was 50 people. Like, I'm walking not exaggerating. Walking photographers, yeah. Yeah. 50 people. More than that, probably. Yeah, at 5 true. in the morning. And that's every single day. It like. was insane, man. I was like, I cannot believe this. All of them have their tripods and their cameras set up. But all that being said, there's two of these mountains, right? And so you did North Rune. And I remember, I don't know if you want to share this story, but you said you were climbing it. And you had some headphones in, which probably wasn't super smart. Yeah, so it, halfway my first half of the journey, I didn't listen to any music podcast. I didn't ever had earbuds in. And somehow later on the journey, I don't know if it was because I was getting more monotonous or it'd get me through the tougher parts. I'd love putting podcasts just to like, you know, cruise through the, I don't know, the... The approach. The approach. That's a good yeah. way to put it, yeah. Cruise through the approach. And so um, I wanted to make... This day, I had two huge mountains to notoriously deadly mountains i had north maroon and uh thunder pyramid thunder pyramid thunder pyramid to work on the coolest name yeah so cool (laughs) so um 
I wanted to cruise up North Maroon. I had my, so usually I'll wear my earbuds like at this point up on the approach, but once it gets more technical, uh, I'll take them out just so you can hear and be more aware and in tune with your surroundings and your environment. And I remember in back of my mind, like at this point, it's now kind of like the end of season as far as big end of summer season. Like they've kind of quit bus access up to the moon bells yeah. for all the photographers to take photos and stuff. You were, like, you were scared that you were going to get snowed out of the room. Yeah, it actually, it did snow. Thankfully it wasn't a ton, but I had to deal with snow and like, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get it done. Cause I, it was weather got me like four times in the Aspen area where I couldn't do these mountains. I had to keep changing logistics, but now I'm at the end of like my project and it's like, I've got to get these things done. Yeah, yeah. So I'm heading back up, uh, North Maroon on the approach and all of a sudden get into the more technical kind of gully, which is kind of the Kular. Um, super loose rocks up Super there. loose rocks. And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this Dave individual who's also still just missing. And you wonder, like, what ha- like the simplest thing could happen. Like, you hear about a rock gets knocks loose, and out of every place in the world that a rock could go falling down that mountain, it somehow connects with somebody. Like, what's the chance? So there I am. I'm standing there. Uh, maybe messing with my gear, taking a small break. And all of a sudden I see this rock, like the size of my head, probably solid, which would do, and I'm wearing a helmet, but it's like that size rock is really, even with a helmet, it's going to mess you up. But the yeah. velocity, it's going. And I got my earbuds in. I just kind of glance back, like, I'm going to say probably 20 feet, maybe 30 feet, between 15 and 30 feet. And I just watch this thing whiz by me. And usually rock falls a bigger issue when there's other hikers out because people above you kick loose rocks down they fall but i'm the only person out there that day for sure at this point in the season like the parking lot's empty i'm like the only guy out there uh and i just watch this thing go whizzing by me and i just think to myself holy shit like that could if i was for whatever reason 30 feet back like if i had changed my approach by whatever percentage of a step yeah that could have been me and that that would have done me in like and I didn't hear that rock coming at all because I kind of had some earbuds. I had earbuds in. And it was just like a whoa. Great. Like just like being aware. And it's like instant. Like again, I reminded her to take this bit more serious at this point. Because even at that point, I'd climbed 90 plus mountains. Dude, right. So it's like. Yeah. So you're feeling experienced. You're like, oh, I can cruise through this stuff. But it's like that's when you. That final 20%. Yeah. And you start to let your guard down and things happen. It's like there's a holy whoa moment. I'm thinking like that's what maybe could have happened to Dave or who knows. And. These stories, they're out there as far as like a rock fall and it connects somebody uh-huh. in the head. And um, I could have been laying there for how long? But thankfully, I didn't. But it was just like a whoa, like big eye opener of like, holy crap, that could have been that could have been meant for me. And maybe I was just 30 feet ahead of schedule today. Well, and you know, yeah, you, you at that point, like you said, you were so experienced that it was kind of like, you know, when you go to work and you start to zone out. Your that was ego your work gets you. for that yeah. day where you're just like, oh, this is, I've done this. I've done this. Yeah, it's your ego getting in your way. Yeah. You're letting your guard down. That's um, crazy, man. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully didn't the day it ended up being a good success. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can you, I don't think we shared this last time, but you spent the whole summer living in your Prius. <laughs> Will you explain while I go get another beer? Celebration! Yeah. Celebration. <laughs> so, uh... I knew going into this project that um, quality of sleep was going to be important for the potential success of this project, just for recovery. And so I'd been kind of researching mobile living for some reason. I knew like hotels weren't an option based on my budget and price point. Um, It was going to be and location, like there's no way I'm going to be able to get a hotel every night. Um, And that's not what this project is about. 
So all of a sudden I like discovered like van living, discovered how people take like huge 15 passenger seat vans and convert them into like little tiny home apartments on wheels or industrial vans. And I was like, this is amazing. And but at the time I discovered this stuff, I'm like, I don't really have the time to put something like this together because that takes multiple months. It to was get. like three weeks before your. <laughs> it was like going. three weeks. I'm thinking. And I remember calling my dad, sending him some plans. I'm like, Dad, if I buy this van, which I'd been looking at around the corner, uh, I'm like, can we get this put together like a minimal kind of stage? He's just like, There's no way, you know, because <laughs> I'm always super over ambitious. Oh, you were wanting him to like build it. I was gonna go. It? I was like, Dad, let me come home for a weekend. We'll just like we'll build a bed frame, a few of these things. Yeah. We'll do it. Um, and it could have been possible, like, would have been janky and whatever. Yeah. And so in that process, I start sharing these things about like mobile living or whatever. And someone was like, Hey man, uh, you should check out Prius camping. And I've always been, I've been a fit. I've been a fan of Prius, like cars. And I thought it'd be a cool next vehicle to have. I was due to get a new vehicle. I had last one for 11 years. <laughs> um, so I I was debating, you know, do I do I lease a vehicle? Do I rent one? Like how? And like I I run the numbers and it'd be a waste of money to like rent or lease a vehicle. So I was like, I just need to buy something, use it for this trip, and use it for the next decade. And so a friend of mine recommended Prius camping. I go down this roadway on the internet. I'm like, oh my god! Like people are have set up like mobile homes in their Prius, like living and camping out of it. And then I discovered this blog called Hotel Prius. In which this guy was living down in Austin, Texas for about two years, living out of his Prius like as a writer, trying to pay off student loans and stuff. And he had a whole blog put together of like how to do it, how to put organize the car. And I was just like, uh, I went and checked out a Prius. I was like, can I really do this? Like, yeah, I could. And I, I just pulled the trigger and like people thought it was nuts. I kind of thought I was nuts. Um, but honestly... Chris, you got to experience the Prius. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up. <laughs> we spent a couple nights in the Prius together. So two grown men, <laughs> like six foot tall on the back. Jacked out of our minds. Just, yeah, we're just, just huge, huge, like yeah, bodybuilders. Like, so much like, imagine The Rock, <laughs> but plus Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you put us two bodybuilders out of this universe <laughs> in the back of my car, and we sleep comfortably. We right? didn't even touch shoulders. Didn't even touch shoulders. <laughs> it's mind-blowing how spacious, it's quite deceiving how spacious a Prius actually is with the hatchback and stuff. And the idea that I could drive, you know, get 40 to 50 miles per gallon, I was going to be putting a lot of miles and therefore yeah. cost. Um, but it was great. Like, I didn't want to be camping every night. I could have got a tent, but when I go back to the quality of sleep for recovery on the project, I didn't want to have to deal with the elements every night, like trying to find a camp spot, pitching a tent, like sleeping on the ground. So I set something yeah. in my car where it's like I had like kind of a double foamed up memory foam mattress. And to be honest, it was it's still to this day more comfortable than any couch I've ever slept on. Yeah. Like it was by week two, week three for sure, I just kind of smiled and I was like, I'm actually really comfortable just living out of my car. And it, through the whole project, doing that for four months, I realized in my car, I'd need to throw away half the stuff that I brought with me. Like I brought too much stuff yeah. on this trip, like just in a car <clears throat> and made you realize like the necessities in life that what you really only need. Yeah. You know, and like all the excess crap that we have and carry around baggage. But when you think about what well, we only really need to get by, it's like not that much. And, you know, this is my philosophical kind of beliefs of, you know, what do you have in your life that's either it's, limit, it's limiting you or it's empowering you as far as the type of lifestyle you want to live. So if you have a bunch of expenses or a bunch of stuff, like that stuff is limiting you from maybe taking these types of adventures. Yeah. You could like actually sit up in the back of your Prius and your head wouldn't hit the top 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy, it, man. It, yeah, it was like it's it's the back seats fold down perfectly. There should be a commercial for Prius. It should be should like this him. should be the Prius podcast. <laughs> um, I'm a huge advocate. It's funny, like everyone around him, like I joke, I'm like everyone should own a Prius. Uh, my roommate kind of laughed at me. Uh, and he smiled. He goes, he goes, dude, I'm glad you can drive the Prius. He goes, I just can't do it. I'm a truck guy. And I was like, that's an ego thing, right? And he goes, totally, it is. Like it's a macho thing. He's like, but good for you. And I look at it, it's like a vehicle, a car, whatever it is, is just a tool to go from A to B, right? And yeah. A Prius, while some people look at him like, oh, maybe it looks dorky or environmental or not manly enough. I'm like, guess what? This thing is, it's, yes, it's environmental, but to me, it's a great financial move that makes me go from A to B and therefore empowers me to be able to take more trips because it allows me to save more money and yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was, since we're kind of going on this rabbit hole, I was thinking about getting a Jeep Renegade, which my eagle wanted this thing so much and I thought it'd be cool, but I knew. First off, buying a brand new vehicle is a terrible financial decision. Like, always buy used. So anyways, but my ego was caught on this thing for a couple weeks. And it's like, I knew the Prius was a better decision in line with my values. But, like, I was going to buy a Renegade. And then I was like, you know what? Because I was thinking about sticker prices. Like, well, sure, the Renegade's going to cost me, you know, $8,000 more or something. Like, what's the big deal for five years? Like, I want this. It's going to be better. But then I was like, the dorky me, the logical guy pulls up a spreadsheet and I was like, what's the estimated total cost over the life of the vehicle if I own either one? And so most people just factor in the sticker price, like when you drive it off the lot. So I, I put that down, I put in the average, you know, driving uh, 15,000 miles a year, plus insurance costs based on the two vehicles, um, plus some maintenance tax and tags and stuff. And in the 10 years, because my last car I had for 11 years, so. Just 10 years alone, the difference estimated at around 15 miles, uh, 15,000 miles a year, and a few other things with gas and all that stuff, was going to be a $27,000 difference. <laughs> In a seven year time span, it's going to be a $17,000 uh, difference. Again, because people think about sticker price, but here the Jeep Renegade was going to get me 20 to 22 yeah. miles per gallon. The Prius was going to get me double that. It's going to allow me to take more road trips. But just from a financial standpoint, it's like, whoa, that's a huge thing. Yeah. And it's it kind of goes back to this, what I like to talk about, the compound effect and the mountain project of the little things that add up every day to the big picture and how like just those little costs will add up to be quite extravagant. So once I threw that down into like a spreadsheet, it was an instant no-brainer and I felt at peace making that decision with the Prius. Yeah. You ever uh, read The Slight Edge? No, I have not. Okay, well, that's all about the compound effect. And it's basically, I mean, I could do like a whole podcast. I'm planning on doing a whole podcast about it in the future. But it's basically like the the things that matter the most in your life are the little decisions you make day to day. Because if you're making positive little decisions every day, like eat healthy, wake up a little bit earlier, exercise, like that stuff adds up. And over time, like it doesn't seem like a big change over the first whatever few months. weeks months yeah. years it doesn't seem like a big change but over time like it compounds and it becomes a giant change in either direction like if you're doing the poor habits you know uh spending money frivolous like if you're if you buy starbucks every day right just imagine you're like oh man that's three bucks but big deal if you do it every single day like that's gonna add up times to, 365 you're yeah. like 900 dollars. Yeah. yeah so that was my serious comment about the car thing <laughs> My stupid comment about the car thing is if I was to play devil's advocate, the Jeep Renegade or the Prius 
which one are you going to see in a commercial driving through mountains with Bob Seger's Lock a Rock? And so that was. <laughs> I laughed because right before the trip, I went and uh, a guy I'd been playing Ultimate Frisbee with, he'd actually bought a Jeep Renegade and he bought the Trailhawk version or leased it, which is like the top of the line. All the fancy stuff. They're like, this thing can drive over rocks and stuff. Like, that's. <laughs> and he's. I, I was driving around him, test driving. He's like, yeah, you know, like he can do all these cool things. And I was just thinking, you know, someday I can have the option if I want to go do these things, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, realistically though, what's the percent chance you're gonna do that? And maybe it's a one percent chance in the next five years you actually go on this big crazy trip. Yeah. And so if that's one week out of your life, but yet you're gonna pay for this vehicle for five years or whatever, why not just rent for that one week to get away with what you need? Um, well, and then like in this project, I know there's crazy roads to get to some specific trailhead so like if you have a four-wheel drive vehicle you can get a couple miles up the mountain that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise yeah and so that was actually that was one of the deciding factors like i was thinking about this pro and as i was researching on the project i would look at every mountain and potential trailer approach and put down mileage and there's some really good research out there as far as four-wheel drive access and two-wheel drive access so four-wheel drive saying you can drive farther up the mountain um, therefore, it's going to make the overall hike incline shorter, right? Shorter mileage, shorter elevation gain. And two-wheel drive vehicle, you're just going to have to start much lower. Yeah. And so, honestly, from a quick math, I quick ran the numbers. And to be honest with you, it was like 50 miles more I was going to have to walk in this project <laughs> over the course of 75 days. Wow. And out the gate, I was like, is that worth... And then I, so I took like 50, I forget the math on this. I mean, but, is it worth $27,000? But correct. And I wasn't even using $27,000 at the time, that, but, the, but that's what it would have been. And I was just looking at the sticker price of the difference, I think of like the $8,000. And so I took, and I don't know if it was $8,000 or $7,000 or what the quick math is. I can't remember at this point, but it went something like this. I do remember the final outcome was I took those 50 miles divided by that difference and it ended up being like $200 a little over per mile. So I asked myself, was I willing to spend $200 more per mile, something that would take me say a half hour or maybe an hour of my energy to walk and do? And I was like, I don't make $200 an hour. Like that's just a stupid decision. You know what, I'll just suck it up and I'll just do the extra 50 miles. Like yeah. it, when I was looking at the project, it scared me because I'd look at days that I was researching, I was like, oh my God, this one has 12 miles today and 14 the next. Like I thought that was impossible. You know, by the time I was halfway through this thing, I was like, that's just another cakewalk yeah. day in the life. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I ran the math on that a lot, and honestly came down to a little bit over $200 a per mile. I was just like, that's not worth it. I'm going to walk these. Dude, I, first of all, that's super analytical, which financially I feel like you are, but climbing the mountains, I remember we ran into a group of guys while we were doing South Maroon, and they were going up uh, Pyramid, Pyramid Peak, and they were like, super analytical like oh it's supposed to, there's like a 40 percent chance of snow like at this time and i don't know they're just almost so overly analytical you could tell right away that they, they almost paralysis by analysis i mean you could tell they weren't going to make it to the top yeah basically because they were just so <laughs> driven by like all this potential information and then do you remember it snowed like 10 minutes <laughs> like spit yeah. barely any snow and we saw people even turn around because they thought it was going to be a big story. And it what like, you know, it's good to have information. So again, like when it comes to certain decisions, I can be I like to get nerdy and analytical and get very logical. 
but I'm also very fly by the seat of my pants and just go with it. Of yeah, I'm just like, I'm kind of like fuck it. Let's just start walking. So we yeah, let's stop talking about it and start walking. So we start making progress, right? Yeah, yeah. Like regardless if it's a ten thousand mile journey, that's not going to change anymore if we sit here and talk about ten thousand miles and <laughs> we start walking. Like the distance is going to be the same. So let's just get started. Yeah. So when it comes like finances and stuff, I like to be more analytical. Uh, on a plan approach because I know that stuff's calculated to empower me in certain other areas. Now every day, like, yeah, I had hiking partners who would, they were analytical about the weather, like percent chance. And to be honest with you, uh, that information was okay with me, but same time I was like, I'm just gonna deal with whatever comes today because yeah. I was on a schedule. And I would say, you know what? I'm just gonna get up early every day and I'm gonna try my best to get up and down before noon, like based on how long, how many miles and elevation get, I think it'll take me this long. Because regardless, like, I knew I was trying to get the mountain done that day no matter what. So I wasn't going to decide. My day was not decided on, oh, it's a 50% chance rain, then, you know, I better not do this because 50% chance it's not going to rain. Like, that wasn't an option for me. Yeah. My option was I'm going to start and proceed no matter what until I run into that rain and then I'll turn around. Yeah. And you had moments where you turned around. Um, you did on Thunder Pyramid. Yep. Because you didn't exactly know. That was a weird one. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, Thunder Pyramid is notorious, kind of like uh, not very climbed. Uh, it's a centennial, one of the highest hundred in Colorado. But, but rare. It's, got, it's rare. It's got some famous deaths on it from some guy who like had climbed 700 mountains, like a famous guy, and he died on it. Dude, and you look at this mountain, <laughs> and you're like, how in the hell is anyone supposed to climb this mountain? There's no way. Yeah, it's like I had one of... Like, I thought, based on my current speed and stuff, at one night I was trying to do my second mountain of the day, super ambitious. Uh, I thought I could go up and get to the top before sunset. As long as I can get up before sunset, which is only you're halfway done. But that gives me a sense, like, I know what I've been through, and I'll feel a lot more calmer coming down. Like, I don't want to keep ascending in the dark. Like, new, a new area in the a dark. A new area in the dark. Um, if it's in the morning and the sun hasn't come up, that's different because I know at some point I could wait it out and the sun will reveal. Yeah. But at night, it's you're going to have another 10, 12 hours until the sun comes back up. So like, I don't want to be ascending that new area. So like one day, like there's not a lot of information, not a lot of beta. I couldn't figure it out. But I was pushing hard. I get, got way up to the approach where I was going to ascend. But I still couldn't quite figure it out. And I was looking at my math and I was just like, even right now if I busted my ass, like made my good time, I would make it but I still don't have clarity on the exact kind of approach. Not that I did on all the mountains, but in general, was, this one was very vague. Yeah. And, you know, it had some history around it. So I was like, I had to back off. And then I came back later on, like on a second or third attempt and did it. And yeah. Then, yeah. So I had some, you know, where those are tough, especially mountaineering and hiking, you know, a project of this magnitude where, you know, I have a deadline of what I'm trying to hit. Um, my ultimate goal was to get on the summits. And if it didn't happen in the time period I wanted, like, I was still gonna finish it, right? I wasn't gonna let the time period kill me, yeah. but because you want you want to make smart decisions when you're out there. But I had a few of those where I had to turn around. It really like those are hard to swallow your pride, but it's in your best safety and interest. It's it's a little easier when you get back to the parking lot and your buddy's there, <laughs> and then we just drive into town and get a beer. Oh, that was yeah, so well worth it. And then got lost because we couldn't find our car. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, I want to actually uh, speaking of that, that was about the end of the project. And I remember you ended up texting my wife, like, please let Chris join me for the Maroon Bells. Like, I need someone out here with me. And I got out there and you, you mentioned this idea of the last 10% of anything you do takes 90% of the effort. Yeah. 
Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, maybe that goes back to like that kind of 80%, 80-20 rule, where uh, Pareto's principle, it's called. Um, but the idea behind 80-20 is usually 20% of the input uh, is responsible for 80% of the output. It's that final 20% of the uh, output requires 80% of the input. So from a time perspective, say an investment, a project, if it takes you one hour to get uh, eight hours, or excuse me, two hours to get eight hours results, that's great. But then to get those final two hours on the 10, if that's what we're shooting for, it's gonna take eight more hours to perfect that. Uh, really fascinating thing to research and apply into your life. And so this whole idea that 90-10 falls in that 80-20, and I was I was down and out. Uh, the real challenge of going for 100, like after 75 was coming back to Colorado, and having to re-go back to every single mountain range I'd been to, go back up some areas I'd been. like You're ping-ponging around the ping state. Ping-ponging around the state. I had to go back to the Wilson Group, which I had told myself I was never going back because of my near-death experience for frightening. But I had to go back there because there was a mountain right next to it. Uh, <laughs> so I had to face that again. But um, I was sitting in a hotel room and like I was just so beat down on those last like 20% of the mountains. I knew that was going to be the real challenge of this project. And I was just not feeling it go up to this mountain near San Luis Peak. And at this point, I'm just running into weather issues. Like, it's the end of the season. I'm just like, the deadline's looming over me. And I'm just like... It's like you haven't seen Friends for... I haven't seen Friends forever. It's just like, I could have been done with this thing, but I decided to extend it. Uh, I'm kind of over at this point. You know, yeah. definitely mentally, in, or I'm in my head. And so I'm sitting in this hotel room. For some, some reason, uh, one of my friends who joined me on one of the mountains... Uh, shoots me a message out of the blue and it's like I was supposed to receive it at this time and he was just like hey man thinking about you I was really wish we could meet up again um, you know I know in the very end it gets really hard and it's that final 10% it takes that 90% again like the way he phrased it it's like as if he felt somewhere in the universe how I was feeling like I was just <laughs> in the dumps in this hotel like I had no aspirations to go out and like finish these things and he's hit me I was like god you're so right like it's so hard right now and that just gave me the boost I needed to keep continuing. Um, it is, it's like, that's like, you put in all this effort and I look back at that point, it's like I'm 95, I'm like 90 days in or whatever it is. Uh, I'm just thinking, man, I've come so far, there's only a little bit left, but I know it's just gonna take a lot just to finish it. Even though knowing where I came from, I know I can finish it, but it's just like, you're at your bottom, you're kind of out of energy and it's just like, Realizing, okay, this is the real friction. This is the real challenge. This is the real test. Yeah. How are you going to show up and respond to this? And it's kind of like, get back out there and like keep walking, even though if it's going to be much harder now, like when the enthusiasm and the excitement's all gone from that first yeah. week. Like I'm 90 days into this now. I've just been freaking climbing mountains every day, just getting my ass kicked. You know. What um, one more thing I wanted, or one more mountain experience uh, that I want to hear about is the. Uh, Palisades in California. Um, yeah. As far as those are, I mean, those are more technical, right? Like, yeah. so you had to learn some, some tech, and that was towards the end, correct? Yeah. So I actually had to like, um, I visited the Palisades twice because I went out there to to do all the California mountains at once, and I lined up a hiking partner. I thought we we're gonna do the whole traverse, which is a pretty famous traverse to get like five fourteeners. Um, is there four of them? There's four. Oh, there's the fifth one. Pole. Okay, pole, yeah. And there's this extra mountain bear peak I wanted to get up in there that went on my 100 list. And the whole thing just went sour from the beginning. Like, our first go around, we only got two of them. My partner got altitude sickness. 
We had to hike in super far. It's just a bad experience. Uh, I mean, these things just happen, and I was just really deflated because in my head I thought we were really going to get like all 60s in a day, and it was just going to be a huge boost for something <laughs> that was really hard to do. I mean, I completely underestimated it. Like, I had no idea. But again, my ego is getting the best. Like, you know, at this point, I got a lot of experience. I'm thinking, oh, we'll just cruise right through this, yeah. but not the case. Um, and my partner at the time didn't have as much experience or he wasn't as conditioned either. He's like, oh, yeah. No, I mean, who would be? <laughs> who would as be? Conditioned I'm doing this point. every single day yeah. for at that point 60 or 70 days. Um, so I ended up coming back. So I decided to hit the eject button. It was a smart move uh, to go back to Colorado, continue making progress which made logistics hard and I knew I'd have to come back to California, like drive all the way back to California again. <laughs> but it just felt the right thing to do and it was the right decision at the time. It still is looking back, it's the right decision. Um, so I went back and I ended up kind of finishing there, which was kind of like, uh, that was kind of nice to bring uh, a finish, like how it all came together, just being like kind of the hardest stuff, something that like we had to bail on, had to go back there and like trudge all the way back up in there and get it done and we did yeah yeah i mean the short i'll keep it short but i remember researching a couple of them it was just like actual technical climbing yeah. so i'm not really experienced outdoors with technical ropes and gears uh, a lot of this stuff you can get most of these mountains i did you can get by with uh hiking and climbing or scrambling without needing gear like you'll face exposure and some scary stuff but you can get by without actual the technical gear and the harnesses. but this stuff like you need to have it um for different sections on this traverse uh, you're doing some five six climbing and did you ever slip like did your hand slip and the rope caught you ever or? um nope thankfully like it was amazing there's some moves like we were gonna do and it's like do we want to rope up and like my partner at one point he was pretty comfortable like cruising through and i was just we were hauling our backpacks and stuff with all oh, of our yeah, gear wow. like so your weight balances off and i just don't have a lot of experience i'm just like I can't do it. So we rope up quickly, and that would just give you so much more confidence because you're like, again, you have a safety if line now. If you fall, you're not going to die. Yeah, you're not <laughs> going to die, which is like the smart thing to do versus yeah. like you slip, you could get really badly injured or yeah. death. Um, so it was really actually cool in the field to be learning that stuff, and it was, you know, for sure scary because it's real practical, practical real-world experience. But um, uh, it's kind of fun. Like two of those summit blocks were, uh, they're technical. Like one was this 5.9 uh, summit block move to get up onto which is kind of a hard climbing move. And I was looking at it, and I've never done any outdoor stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know how you do this. And I watched the one guy do it, and I was like, okay. But then I got on it and just did it, and I was super stoked. I was like, oh, my God, I just climbed, like, you know, it was only probably, like, 15 feet or something. Yeah. It was like, well, I just climbed this 5'9 boulder, which is pretty awesome to feel like I just did this awesome, thing. Man. So, Dude, here's what I love about I, that, like, you finishing on the hard, the the most technical ones yeah is i love the fact that all of your experiences kind of culminated in that all your experiences all the skills you learned culminated in you climbing that five nine route up that boulder yeah when i went out i mean i had my previous experience was i had like hiked a dozen 14ers in the past right just walked straight up them um and again this is the whole like i could have chose not to do this when i was researching because when I was researching some of these mountains and stuff, like I would sit there and have sweaty palm syndrome <laughs> on, at my computer, dude, like freaked I out. Looking at my computer. Yeah, Chris and I would talk, and like we'd be freaked out. I'm like, he's like, dude, how you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but they'll be later in the trip, and hopefully we, it figures it out. And yeah. like, it was weird. I would meet people along my way that would be kind of like my aid and assistance later on, who would then show back up, like my climbing partner to help me f go back and finish the 
Traverse was a part of my Rainier team. Another guy brought this dude in. We connected. He'd always wanted to do this, so we ended up teaming up. And it was like things could have worked out more better. Like yeah. I just don't know if they could have of just meeting people while I was out there who were willing to help out. And I think it just came from blindly pursuing with progress a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it is like I learned. I had to learn a ton of skills from just reading basic map finding skills and planning <laughs> logistics on the fly. Like I just yeah. threw myself in there and went with it. Cause it's like, if I would have tried to realize if I would have wrote down all the list of things that I knew how to do and the things I didn't know how to do to be able to complete this project, uh, the things I didn't know how to do would far outweigh the things I did Yeah, big time. And you would looked at it and said, uh, don't do this project because <laughs> you're not qualified. And that was, I was not a qualified candidate at all. But through this whole process, like I became qualified for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that's with anything. It's with you, anything. You start. You just gotta start something. Yeah. You gotta start whatever, and you'll struggle through it. You'll feel like an idiot for a while, and you'll figure it out. You do, and it's you come out like on the back end a different person. Yeah. Uh, I guess as we kind of wind this down, like my, I think my favorite thing of I got done with the uh pal i was officially done climbing and chris we connected on a phone call again we'd talk to each other often and i think you just asked you like all right so are you are you done done <laughs> i didn't know because uh, i remember chris like he'd asked me at one point like i got to the 100th mountain i'd cl- yeah. i'd been on 100 summits but my list had like 108 on it was it very confusing it's, like it if we tried to explain it, it here it would take hours yeah but ultimately my goal is to get to 100 summits or whatever but chris earlier i was just like do you after I did like North Maroon stuff, he's like, dude, you've done like a hundred. You, you can stop. And like something. my family and other friends like were involved. There was like, dude, you've done a hundred. Like you can stop. But I knew I then had this bigger thing I was actually the going centennials, for. Centennials, right? The, like the contiguous USA centennials yeah. of 100. And cause some of the mountains on my original list weren't counting on these yada, yada. This we won't, crazy. it's confusing. We won't <laughs> go into it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I got on a hundred, uh, 107 summits in a hundred day actually. Um, total was 111, 105 days or something. But I get done. I get out of the mountains of California up at the Palisades. And we're just talking. And Chris is like, so are you are you done? <laughs> like, is it done? And I was just sitting there. I'm like, it's done. <laughs> and then he proceeds. He goes, I got to be honest with you. He goes, when you set out to do this, <laughs> he goes, I'm like your biggest cheerleader. He goes, but I really didn't. <laughs> I didn't know if I had a lot of... I wasn't discouraged or, like, shooting you down. But he was like, I didn't know if you... I really had faith that you would actually accomplish this. Yeah. And I was like, Chris... I didn't want to be, like, a hater. Didn't want to be a hater. Like, obviously, I'm like, dude, I will cheer you along the whole entire way. <laughs> and I'll help you out in whatever way I possibly can. But, like, this is lofty, man. <laughs> this is a lofty goal. It was... That <laughs> people... Like, I'm sure people have tried in the past and have failed. Yeah. And, like, I know your mentality. And I know that you're strong-willed. But you still are like, man, I don't know. I and I didn't know, and I just proceeded, and like, and that was my response, Chris. I was like, dude, when I started, I didn't know either, <laughs> but I was gonna give it a shot. Like, I knew yeah. to take it day by day. Yeah. And it did. Like, I came out of this whole process, a uh, more refined person with more skill sets. Um, and I, you know, I had a track record in my life, and I still do of not finishing things or giving up. And I tell people like, one of the main reasons I went out and did this was it was a character test, a sense of true character for myself, like. When the going gets tough, like ultimately, who's going to come save you? It's up to me, responsibility. This is yeah. my vision. This is my quest. And uh, it was really important to me, and I did it, and I finished it. And still, I now, being done, even like being back for a couple months, being done with this, 
it honestly doesn't feel like it happened. It's really surreal of I had that experience and because, you know, life kind of goes on or it's kind of like, what now? Or how do I take this experience and roll it to the next one? It's just kind of like that it happened, you know? <laughs> and like, I don't, and I don't want to like downplay of what it was or what it is, but it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, I, I did that. So, you know, it's, I don't want to like rest of my laurels. It's kind of like, but now I'm kind of like, but it's what I'm, what about now? What am I focused on? Or what yeah. do I want to of course. keep going? Cause I don't want to be like, I don't want that to be the story. <clears throat> That's natural. Know? And a lot of people who accomplish amazing things, it doesn't seem, cause what you accomplished was for sure an amazing thing. No doubt about it. But for the people who actually do it, it doesn't seem amazing. Yeah. Because that's their everyday regular life. Like, this actually happened in my life. Like, <laughs> I guess... I mean, you have to take a step back and yeah. see how other people... Would look it. at it. Yeah. And I didn't get you a parade. Uh, <laughs> but I got you a present, man. And, like, I thought... The celebration like, is happening. <laughs> yeah, the serious celebration. I, like... I was like, man... You know, he needs something to commemorate it. Something. And I was thinking, like, what about, like, a golden ice axe? Like, that'd be Ooh, badass, that'd right? Be great. But I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, this is a present from multiple people, not just me. Um, we kind of all collaborated and came up with this idea of this thing to get you. And you'll see it in a second. But it's from, uh, it's from a lot of the Like a Bigfoot. I keep wanting to say Like a Bigfoot <laughs> tribe. Is that Ooh. cheesy? I mean, try, what flows? So again, audience, we're gonna ask for your yeah, question we'll here. You. Yeah, what's like? Yeah, the like the, the our tribe, family, the community. Yeah, like a bigfoot like a tribe, right? Like a bigfoot, a tribe of bigfoots. How about this? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, maybe there's something with animal. I don't know what you call that, but like uh, uh, a school of fish, right? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, dude, what are all different types of terms of that? And then the bigfoot, the abominable snowman, or what's yeah, the or yeti? Yeti. There we go. What would be a group of yetis yeah. be called? So, like, I want I want anyone who's listening to this, you're part of the Like a Bigfoot, tr- whatever. I'll say Tribe right now. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to say Tribe because Seth Godin has a book called Tribes. Yeah. But like, I don't want to just, like, obviously I'm trying to rip off his idea, but I don't want to, like, blatantly do it. I mean, tribes are big. Community tribe is yeah. what you associate with. Okay. You know? So, the Like a Bigfoot fill-in-the-blank group here. <laughs> uh, people have been on the podcast before, Travis Steffen. Um, episode one, Brady Manriquez, um, Brandon Sweat, who had a great one. I don't know if you listened to it, but dude, if you haven't, you need to. Uh, and my beautiful, lovely wife, Lindsay, came up with this idea. So here you go. Um, it's wrapped in wrapped paper that says effing awesome. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. I was like, oh, sweet. That is awesome wrapping paper. <laughs> Which we right. uh, just stole from a gift Travis gave me. But Cool. Yeah. All right, here. This is the reveal. Yeah. So... This is, I, I wanted something to commemorate it, man. Cause like, you need something hanging on your wall. And no one makes like soccer trophies of, you know, you climbed 100 mountains. <laughs> and it goes back to like uh, a little bit, I would say that power of focus. And I'm trying to again get folks in my life of realizing what I've done and what I'm capable and need to have that reminder being like, dude, remind myself of saying, hey, you did this. You show it's possible. Let's just kind of focus in, have some discipline and consistency, and we can yeah. keep doing and accomplishing great things. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I always say this about mountains. Here's what I love about mountains is once you climb one and you're in that area again, you see it, you know that it's a, it's a visual representation of an accomplishment, Yeah. right? But you're in Iowa, so you can't see these mountains. 
Victory in Mountain. It's Mountain. Okay, so Victoria. Oh wait, is it like Latin? How do you say that? Yeah, I'll put a picture of this up uh, on Dude, the website. Badass. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, what it is is uh, once you climb to the top of a 14er, there's these geologic markers at the top, and they say the mountain's name, they say the elevation, and all this. So we made you, and by we, we didn't actually make this. I like you found, didn't chisel this out. I this found a awesome. company that made, uh, which I think they're called like pewter medallions, and I could be wrong, but I'll double check. But they made custom geologic markers. Cool. And so what yours says is victory in montum, which is Latin for mountain conqueror. Yes. <laughs> 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 and there's a picture of uh, Mount Rainier. I just I Dude, I thought that was probably like one of the most epic experiences. It so. was an incredible experience in my life. And then it says uh, 14ers project. And I know this wasn't exactly right, but this is actually we started designing it before you finished. So 100 mountains, 100 days, 2016, Calvin Johansson. Pretty sweet. Dude, thank you, Chris, very much. Yeah, this man. is a very thoughtful gift uh and from everyone who contributed like makes me a bit emotional this is uh <laughs> it's cool and it's good like uh i i was having a conversation with my friend carl and and again he was talking about he's like dude did you have a celebration or anything and i was like nope just came back and let me proceed and he's like he's like yeah we're similar to he's like but you should really do something like acknowledge yeah. it it's kind of like okay maybe i'll think about it yeah, <laughs> you man. know um but yeah so an incredible journey i hope to my goal is to try to work this into a book format, kind of picturesque and writing, so I can share it and um, those things. So yeah, yeah, we'll keep sharing a little bit of mission. But I think kind of a final takeaway: uh, if people are listening to this, like, oh, that's an incredible story. Sounds like an ambitious guy. I don't see myself climbing 100 mountains in 100 days or 75 in 75 days, or maybe one mountain. Or like, how do you get to that part? Like, maybe it's too inspirational, not aspirational. Um, like, how do I make it relatable in that, you know? I started to put together kind of like a pitch video when I went into this that you can see on 14ersproject.com and it kind of, I went through the last five years, four or five years, it's just kind of like, I didn't realize it started until I started writing it down, but this whole journey started a good five years ago with, you know, Chris taking on my first 14er, but then developing and refining and challenging myself from that point on of getting more physically fit. Uh, enrolling in challenges from uh, you know doing my first 5k and then a half marathon then a full marathon then doing a couple marathons and then doing adventure races and then trying to learn a handstand and all this stuff was just like building mental fortitude for this thing yeah. like five years ago I couldn't have done this and dude that's what I love leading man. up to everything you do leads up to these epic events like people see all the mountains you climbed and they're like that's you know that's amazing for him but they don't see all the other stuff you've done leading up to that point. And that's, that stuff's almost the important stuff. It's, that is the important stuff I don't want people to get lost into. And this is where uh, one of my favorite things I kind of like to tout now, which uh, currently you can go to join100club.com. Yes. I, we, I, <laughs> I started this podcast saying we're going to put this on January 2nd because of this reason, because of Join 100 Club. And then uh, this is at the very end. So I'm going to make sure in the intro to mention all this stuff. Okay. But go ahead. Yeah, the, the, a year ago, September, so a little bit over a year and a couple months ago, uh, I decided to take up a challenge to try and learn to do a handstand. I thought a handstand was just a cool move, let's be honest. <laughs> it looks awesome. And so I thought, hey, if I 
um, if I practice this, commit to for 100 days practicing this for like 10 or 15 minutes, I bet it, in 100 days I can probably do a handstand. Like it was like kind of an intentional goal to make sure I get to that end result a little bit. It it kept me kept me accountable a little bit. So I just kind of enrolled into it and like things started to click more. Like I got more excited to work out or do core exercises because they're now part of a bigger goal. They're part of the handstand. And then before I know it, like 100 days passed, I had so much fun doing that and uh spoiler but i learned to do a handstand <laughs> it was like oh my god that's so powerful and other people i kind of i'd publicize it um at join100club.com i'd share video updates and i had other friends i had like 40 people or so who'd enroll and join with me like you know practice trying to you know practice guitar or work on music or just write every day or meditate whatever they want to focus on improving their life just you know 10 or 15 or maybe 30 minutes a day whatever that commitment is but it's like I did that, and then you know, before I know it, uh, I did a hundred mountains in a hundred days. It was kind of like that wasn't the intent when I first set out. It was seventy five and seventy five because that's how many fourteeners there were. But eventually, I got to a point. I was like, I'm never gonna be in this position again. Like a hundred just seems right. I'm gonna yeah. go for a one hundred. And uh, there's just real power in consistency, right? Yeah. And so in the process, I always called it the one hundred day challenge. But I think really a more important thing to call is the 100 day commitment and this comes down to goals that people often they'll they'll think up of lofty goals and they might write them down but a goal is kind of something to strive or aim for you know it doesn't carry a lot of clout or weight where i think a commitment does and like maybe the commitment is the pathway to the goal so instead think about if you have a big lofty goal and maybe let's just use the 100 mountains for an easy example if i want to climb 100 mountains in 100 days and that means i'm going to commit to just climbing one mountain every day yeah and then over 100 days i'm going to get there so like it's through that 100 day commitment process which will really help you refine become like really good at doing stuff and i kind of got this idea um there's this really viral video online about this girl wanting to learn to break dance and she did it she showed time lapse of her 100 day journey and she went from a terrible dancer to a decent dancer and then uh, i saw a guitar player was working on a sweep picking technique which is like a a fancy way to play really fast guitar licks you know at first he couldn't do it and then at 100 days he was just blazing through his guitar and yeah. there's just power in consistency <clears throat> there is man like what small things are you doing every single day yeah what pos- and what positive things are you doing every single day and what's that going to result in because everyone wants to play guitar everyone wants to look cool playing guitar yeah. everyone wants to you know uh I'm trying to think of something. You know, everyone wants to run a marathon. Everyone wants to be able to do 100 pull-ups. Yeah. But, like, what are you doing every single day to lead you to that point? That's what people miss, and that's what yeah. people don't understand and don't necessarily see. I did. Oh, and also going back another to how 100 played out in my life was in the year 2013. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I did 100 push-ups a day for the entire year. Yeah. And what led up to that was, like, I was trying to get more motivated to be more healthy, and... For a while, I was trying to do like, t- my goal was 20, my goal, again, was 20 push-ups a day, and I kept failing. It's like, it just wasn't big or lofty enough, and 20 push-ups is really nothing. It shouldn't be, right? It's over the course of a day, it's doable. If you did two push-ups an hour, <laughs> you know, in 12 hours, you'd have, well, 24 push-ups, yeah. you'd four plus, you'd have a surplus. So I saw some challenge about the 36,500 push-ups in a year thing uh, some guy was going to do, and of course, analytically, I broke it down. I'm like, oh, that's like 100 push-ups a day. 
he was going to do it like every other day or something. Um, and I was like, that just seemed challenging enough that a big enough commitment, like I was going to commit to doing a hundred pushups a day for an entire year. And at first, like that first month was tough. I'd do like 10 pushups on the hour yeah. every hour. But it's like, if you break it down to 10, it's not very tough. Um, you know, but month two, before you know it, like I was doing 30 or 40 pushups in a row before I could do like 15 or 20, you know? And, uh, it was just a really powerful commitment in my life. It was just in my body, my physique changed and it didn't, when you add up the amount of time it takes to do a hundred pushups, it does not take that much time. Yeah. But uh, people look at it as like, oh, that's really intimidating. I need to go to the gym. It's like, no, like at your desk, if you want to take a two minute work break, pound out 20 push ups, yeah. you know? Dude, and you let nothing stop you. Like, we were in Tennessee <laughs> in the Smoky Mountains. You were doing 100 push ups. I remember on the side of the road overlooking yeah. these beautiful mountains. <laughs> uh, you were in the airport in Turkey or yeah. in Istanbul. Yeah, Istanbul, Turkey. You know? doing and then you were on top of Kilimanjaro. About, about Kilimanjaro. I was doing push-ups <laughs> on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm just like... Nothing it was, stopping it. Yeah, it was a cool time to enroll. But in like, And I had like showing little kids these orphanages I was staying at in Tanzania, like push-ups and they were joining me. And it's like... But again, that comes down to how committed are you? It's easy to make up excuses, little bullshit stuff. That and you, if you're gonna be stopped really easy, you're not committed, right? Well, and if you skip a day, oh yeah, or if you only get eighty a day, then it's so much easier the next day to be like, well, I can, I'll only do eighty today. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's easier. Um, this comes from the book of how you measure your life. Um, so I always remember. This kind of goes into how I am. I'm kind of, I'm a black or white, all or nothing kind of guy. Uh, the the author is talking about the idea of how it's easier to be a hundred percent than it is ninety eight percent. And the point was like being all in or not all in because his uh, analogy or anecdote that he gave was he was a college basketball player over in Europe and he was a man of religious faith and he vowed he would never work or play sports on Sunday. And of course his team he plays for makes it to the national championship over in Europe and he sticks to his commitment saying he will not play in the championship game because he knew if he would just play just that one time then later on in the future, he kind of reflect back. And he's like, well, I did it that one time. It wasn't a big of a deal. I'll do it again. Yeah. And before you know it, you do it again. So it's kind of and like... It becomes easier and easier. And now it's a habit. It becomes oh. a cancer is what happens. So it becomes a habit. You let yourself off the hook. Whereas, you know, it's all... Be 100% in. Not 98%, 95%. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. Be committed. And you'll find, like, times will be really hard. and But that's what defines you as character. And if you don't do those hard moments then they won't become easier in the future. Yeah, because I'm going to be honest, I did the Join 100 Club, <laughs> and my goal was to play guitar every day. I got about 35 days in, and then I skipped a day. And then pff, from there on, I might as well have just thrown it out the window. It's easy. When you break the streak, and you just got to get honest when you break that streak, it just really disrupts stuff. Yeah. And and I'm I'm not perfect by any means. I've failed on a couple of my own 100-day challenges um, in other areas of my life for not being completely committed, but... You need to root that commitment in a powerful reason or a why and ultimately, you know, uh, be stronger than your strongest excuse yeah. and just stay committed. Even if that means you got to stay up an extra 10 minutes before you go to bed and strum that guitar for the 10 minutes like you said you would. Yeah. And so with the New Year's coming, the I mean... Or we're in the, if we're, we're, we're in the future. We're, we're in the future. In the we're, we're, it's 2017. It's January 2nd right now, if you're listening to this, when I like actually put it out. and um, But it doesn't matter when you hear this. It doesn't, no. The day. It could be like... The message is what matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you're starting a New Year's resolution, 
instead of doing a crazy resolution like lose weight where it's just totally you know subjective vague, yeah, and subjective. vague and yeah instead of doing that what if you did you said i'm gonna go for a 20 minute walk every day for 100 days like what's that gonna result in yeah it's hard to see the end result but man it's it's really powerful once that compound that little percent uh, adds up there's this you know if you run numbers if you look at improving yourself one percent every day in your life uh, for an entire year of 365 days the math comes out to be like a 3800 percent difference because of the compound effect which is fascinating um but again so even think about improving yourself a quarter of a percent a day or half percent so and it comes from consistency yeah. like you don't get overweight overnight that doesn't yeah. happen you don't just you know, eat a little extra for dinner and you wake up 30 pounds heavier. It happens from three, four, five, ten 10 years of abuse from being consistently. The compound effect can work in either effect. way, man. Yeah. It can so, go positive or it can go negative. Yeah, so just commit to that 20-minute walk and like what it'll, you know, just start getting momentum and make commitments and uh, yeah, you'll start to see progress over time. There's no such thing as some bullshit magic bullet quick easy fix that a 14-day plan is not going to get you ripped or in shape or get a book out in the world. Things quality takes time. It just you can't shortcut time. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, and you're not going to see results right away. And that's the frustrating part where people want to. I think I heard this on your buddy Mitch Matthews, Mitch Matthews podcast, which Calvin's also been on. Check that out. But he's mentioning something about like. Everyone wants to skip from step A to step Z <laughs> right away to the finished project. When you wanted to do handstands, man, I'm sure you were like, oh, it'd be super cool if I could just do a handstand yeah. right now. But that's not realistic. Like, yeah. you're going to have to go through B, steps B through Y before you get there. You got to go through the basics, the boring. You just got to put the work in and make that subtle progress. Of, you got to build those foundation. And, uh, you know, people look at the, it's the, they look at the, destination but you got to go through that journey in which people don't usually publicize it's usually you get to see the end result no of someone publishes rip they journey. see the perfect handstand they see the book publish they don't see all the stuff you actually have to go through and that's where you just need to be a reminder like you have to go through those things like you have to either fly walk or drive across the country to get from one coast to the other you can't you just got it that's how you get there <laughs> that's true you can't teleport no. you can't teleport depending when you listen to this whatever time well if this oh, is like crap. you're like 2099 yeah. you but might you're still teleport you know what you're still teleporting you're having to go through a process yeah to get there. exactly well there's a um i guess if there's one last thing you want to check out there's this ritual article and it's this is where I'm going to not actually know the name of the article. <laughs> but it's something about, like, forget the life hack and yeah. put in the hard work. Like, the hard work is what's key. You're not going to be able to hack your way through life if you're not willing to put in the hard work, you know? The funny thing is, hack actually originally, uh, I believe, came from a term. When I was growing up, the term hack was, like, half-assed. It's like, oh, he's a hack. He's just, like... Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. all put together. Just maybe kind of a dumbass, or for a better choice of words, but just wasn't all there. Um, wasn't quality involved with that. But now somehow in the information age, it's changed to hack means like how can you shortcut things? Yeah. And to be honest, like I don't know if there is a process or system that will give you quality going through a hack. So you know, and I don't want to dismiss all hacks and save aside a lot of its buzzwords just to get your attention, but. Most hacks or whatever, it's just bullshit. Like yeah. the 
the most basic things in life that give results are boring. They really they're not sexy. They're consistency and showing up. You wanna get in healthier shape, like eat vegetables, right? Like you don't need some special magical powders that's gonna cleanse your body or yeah. fancy juices. Just start eating fruits and vegetables and get ready BS. Like do some push ups, do some sit ups. Like <laughs> it's just if you wanna write a book, sit down, write five hundred pages. And do it every day. Do it every day for a hundred days and you'll be at fifty thousand words. That's yeah. a two hundred page book. Basically, what we're saying is go to www.join100club.com. Yeah. And there's some there's some materials in there that will help you out, and I would love to hear about your journey if you're willing to do it. But if not, like, that's cool. somewhere in your life, find some consistency, have discipline, yeah. um, and make some commitments. And you'll eventually – time will pass. Here's, like, the last thing I kind of say is time is going to pass regardless of how you spend it. You you could sit still for an hour or you can walk for an hour. The time is going to pass regardless. It's still going to be an hour. It's still going to be an hour. So before you know it, 90 days, 100 days is going to pass. A whole other year, the year 2017 is going to be gone. And the question is, like, are you in the exact same space as before or have you made progress um, in, in the essence of time? Yeah. You know? So Nice, man. We went on a rant at the end. Big rant. I know. <laughs> we just started, long. like, like – Looking at the microphone and just like yelling at it. Yeah, as my uh, <laughs> my hometown friend reminded me of this, like growing up in uh, high school, as we talked about these things are really just simple. They're not hacking. He goes, our baseball coach uh, would always say, every day you're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no such thing as staying the same. That simple. It's that simple. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, what are you doing today to be a better person? How are, what are you doing today to improve yourself? Like yeah. what efforts... Whether it's projects, lives, relationships, like what work are you putting in a day that's going to result in better quality? Yeah. Sweet, man. I think we'll leave off there. Boom. Dude, you did it. 14ers Project. Woo! You made it, man. Climb a bunch of mountains. So. Climb, hey, go out and climb. Like, find an adventure. Let's keep ranting for a second. <laughs> <laughs> find an adventure. It doesn't have to be, like, all the way across the world. It can be in your own backyard. Like, go on a canoe trip. Go for a run. Get away from your computer. Get away from technology. Exactly. Like, get back out in the world and nature. Yes. And when you're at your computer or technology, <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> hey, go to join100club.com. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, dude. Dude, I love you, man. I love you as well. All right, see ya. <laughs> All right. That wraps up the episode. This is going to be a short outro because I realize we are at two and a half hours, which is insane. So... Uh, if you're listening and it's two and a half hours in, I really appreciate it. Um, you're amazing. You've endured a long podcast. So uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you again for to Calvin for sharing his story <laughs> like five years ago at this point. Um, love love that guy. He's done. He's been doing some amazing things, and I'm pretty sure some of the lessons he learned from this experience he's been able to actually draw over into other areas of his life um and all of the amazing stuff that he's doing now he's like renovating houses and just working his butt off every single day um and really doing the whole like embracing the journey and not necessarily the results embracing the hike up and not necessarily the uh the summit selfie or whatever we were talking about. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Like I said in the intro, we will be back in probably two weeks. So once September starts, um, we are jumping right back in uh, season two, quote unquote, but we're going to have new episodes out there 
Uh, I'm hoping that you'll enjoy them. I've recorded quite a few at this point and they've been really fun. So, uh, yeah. And then life gets crazy again. Uh, school started for me today. I'm zonked. My brain is fried, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited for, for this year and kind of this next chapter. So it'll be really fun. Thank you all for listening and we'll get back at you next week.